to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace.
to the semifinal round tomorrow. This team has grown so much, and it was evident, Gus, in the win against Villanova. Hands in the passing lane, comes up with the turnover. Boy, is top of the arc, pick it. Boom. Attention right there. is being blocked from behind by Pickett. Boy, is aggressive, energetic. Blair. DC. He shot that one from the Florida Avenue Grill. It for the Hoyas. 2.35 to go. Game tied at 55. Harris stop and start to the home. Double cut up and in. I can't. Allen Harris is watching this game somewhere. He's at that home. Tough ass right now for Seton Hall. Pablo Kalish really the inbounder. What a career he's had. Reynolds for three. Off the back rim, no ticket, another rebound, and that's it. Georgetown advances to the Big East Tournament title for the first time since 2010, led by Zachman, Patrick Ewing. And he turned it over. Now let's see if they can get something in transition here. Blair, wide open three. And that's his shot. And Connecticut is a very good rebounding team. Now Harris to the bucket. Jam for Ego Efe. Told you about that matchup. Wahab. And I'm take it away. Wahab. Power. Spin. Dream. Shake, baby. Belay a three. Oh, my goodness. Everything working for this young man. Shooty A. Belay. For the first time since 2007. The Georgetown Hoyas are Big East Tournament champions and NCAA bound. Coach Thompson, I know you love it, big fella. Your boys did it. Your boy did it. Patrick Ewing and the Hoyas are champions of the Big East Conference. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So many things to discuss today in the world of sports. There's so many topics that we can be discussing. We can be talking about the NBA. We can talk about Drew Brees retiring. We can talk about all the things in my later podcast later on this week and beyond. I will be getting into what's happening in those sports. But for today, before this segment, to start the show, I don't want to be talking about any of those things. I want to be talking about the team that's near and dear to my heart, the team that I love till death, the team that I've been passionate devotion to since I was under my preteens for over four decades in counting, around four decades in counting, the team that I've lived with, the team that I've died with, the team that I've cried with, the team that I've had joyful expressions with in terms of winning, losing, and everything else in between, my Georgetown Hoyas are going to the NCAA tournament. My Georgetown Hoyas are your 2021 Big East Conference Tournament champions. My Georgetown Hoyas, who were predicted to come in last. My Georgetown Hoyas, who everybody, rightfully so, thought this was going to be one of the worst seasons in Georgetown basketball history, said, no, 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 we're going to get it done. Said, no, 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 we're not going to reach those expectations of mediocrity and dysfunction. No, 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 my Georgetown Hoyas got it done. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports, the 2021 
Conference Champion, Tournament Champion, Georgetown Hoya for Segment Edition. What's up, K Pasta, Mi Amigos, Miyama, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World and Sports, Konishiwa. Man, I tell you, I'm so happy. Shalom, Wassalam Alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Namaste, Wendell's World and Sports. Talking about what went down this first segment about my Georgetown Hoyas. There's some college athletic stuff I want to get into that I want to get into later on in the program. I want to talk about the passing of Marvelous Marvin Hagler. I want to talk about the situation one years one year ago, which changed the world, which changed our life forever, one for the history books. But right now, I want to just espouse and expound and talk about my Georgetown Hoyas getting it done. Getting it done! They beat Marquette. For the Big East, in the Big East Conference uh, tournament, first round they beat Marquette, then they beat Villanova, in the semifinals they beat Seton Hall, and then the 73-48 beatdown of Creighton, Villanova and Creighton both nationally ranked, putting the exclamation point on an improbable run by my Georgetown Hoyas, and winning the conference tournament championship on the same day as 49 years ago, John Thompson was named the coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. So damn sweet. So damn wonderful. So damn awesome. You can't write a script and expect anybody to believe this, especially if you're talking about a person of color. But God damn it, man. We are the Biggies Conference Tournament Champions. And look, you can sit here and if you're a Gonzaga fan, you can sit here if you're a Villanova fan, you can sit here if you're a Duke fan, you can sit here if you're a North Carolina fan, you can sit here if you're a uh, if you're a Michigan State fan and say, man, you're up there acting like this when you win a conference tournament. <laughs> Jeez, man. Try winning an NCAA tournament once in a while. Oh, you haven't done that in, I don't know, about what, 40, 30 years? Hey, you know what? Rome wasn't built in a dame. We are rebuilding, baby. We are moving forward. We are going in the right direction. And it's all about with the direction of the program and where it's going. And right now, that's what we're headed. Right now, we're headed in a positive direction. Patrick Ewing, 18 years as a player in the NBA, 15 years as an assistant coach in the NBA. I'm talking to recruits right now. What the hell are you doing? You heard the tweet from text from uh, Pat Riley. You heard the tweet from Stan Van Gundy. You heard um, some of the prognosticators. You heard some of the announcers. You heard some of them folks on the uh, post-game show, Coach Steve Lavin and them. What was the main thing that we're talking about? What was the main thing that they were espousing? What was the main thing that they wanted to get across? Damn right, man, if I was a high school senior. Damn right if I was a big man. Damn right if I wanted to get into the NBA. Damn right if I wanted to uh, learn how to play the game correctly. You're damn right if I wanted to play my best basketball that I would go, that I would go to uh, Georgetown and play for Patrick Ewing. You better be goddamn elated. You better be goddamn getting on your hands and knees and thanking the Lord above or whoever your higher being is and thanking him for the fact that Patrick Ewing is giving you some interest. That Patrick Ewing extended a scholarship offer to you. Because not unless you're getting paid six or seven figures to go to the G League, I don't see any other coach outside of Jawan Howard and Penny Hardaway where a five-star recruit wouldn't strongly consider in terms of going to Georgetown for playing for Patrick Ewing. I mentioned this before and I mentioned it again. How many years did John Calipari play in the NBA? How many years was Roy Williams an assistant at, um, at, in, in, in the NBA? I'm sorry. What coach, Mark Few, what NBA coach did he have the privilege of, uh, learning under? Was it Steve Clifford? No, Ewing did. Was it the Van Gundys? No, Ewing did. Tell me again. 
Tell me all these coaches who are getting these five-star recruits. Tell me for all these kids who are looking to go to Kansas, looking to go to Duke, looking to go to Michigan State, looking to go to Kentucky. Tell me again, looking to go to um, looking to go to North Carolina, looking to go to UCLA. Tell me again. I'm sorry, the coaching resume. Tell me again as far as getting you ready for the NBA. Tell me again what experience do they have. Tell me again. Because I'll line up any one of those resumes and put them besides Patrick Ewing and tell me again. How many points in the NBA did Mike Krzyzewski score? How many all-star games did Roy Williams make? How many all-NBP, all-league nominations did Jay Wright get when he was in the NBA? Oh, I'm sorry, he wasn't in the NBA. Which one of those coaches would name the greatest 50 players in the NBA history? Oh, I'm sorry, that would be none of them. Again, if you want to go to Michigan and Jawan Howard, understood. You want to go to Penny Hardaway in Memphis and learn how to play under his tutelage? Understood. But goddamn, man, Chet Holgram, listen to me. Patrick Baldwin Jr., listen to me. Are you out of your freaking mind? You're going to go to Mark Few? Chet Holgren's going to go to Mark Few? Why? Based on what? How? Come on, man. You want to go to the NBA or not? Do you want to maximize your potential to go to the NBA or what? Well, Mark Few has won basketball games. Well, Mark Few is building a program. Well, Mark Few, Patrick Ewing isn't. And Patrick Ewing is running pro sets. Patrick Ewing is running Iverson. Patrick Ewing is running Horns. And once again, did I forget to mention, Patrick Ewing spent 15 years in the NBA as an assistant. He learned under Pat Riley. He learned under Stan Van Gundy. He learned under Jeff Van Gundy. He learned under Steve Clifford. Come on, man. Besides playing in the NBA for almost two decades, you don't think... The coaches, you don't think that Patrick Ewing doesn't know how to get someone to the NBA? <laughs> That's what this win means. That's what this win this means as far as winning this conference uh, tournament means. It means once it means that you know what, my points have a little bit more validity. Why? Because not only can I learn from someone who's had. A decade and a half experience coaching in the year, uh, 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 coaching uh, experience for 15 years in the NBA and playing in the NBA for 18 years. Now he's also building a fantastic basketball program in one of the most fabulous cities that you can ever uh, be uh, living in. Now, unless you want to spend your time in Lexington, Kentucky, you know, the same state where the people are stupid enough to reelect Mitch McConnell. You want to spend your six or eight months there or your two years there, have at it. But I'd rather live in a cosmopolitan city, chocolate city, baby, Washington, D.C., and coach and learn under the tutelage of John Thompson and get myself a quality education and a fantastic degree at Georgetown University. But that's, you know what, that's something for another day. That's something for after the season. They're going to be playing on Saturday. They're the number 12 seed. They're going to be playing Colorado. They can lose Colorado by 50. Wouldn't make a difference. The expectations that were supposed to be for the Hoyas, how they over-exceeded them. Patrick Ewing might not be the coach of the year. Patrick Ewing might not be the Big East coach of the year. But he damn sure better get some serious consideration. He damn sure better have his name brought up when you're speaking about coaches doing a great job, when you speak about coaches who have uh, super-exceeded their expectations. Hey, man, going into this conference tournament, Georgetown hadn't won a single Big East conference tournament game. In five seasons, four years at the helm of Georgetown, Patrick Ewing was still looking for his first Big East tournament uh, uh, victory. Georgetown was a 500 to one long shot of winning the conference title by at least one online wagering firm. 
seniors Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett, the two initial recruits from uh, Coach Thompson, oh, excuse me, from uh, Coach Ewing, they had to toil through years of rebuilding and retooling and dysfunction and head-scratching moves and inconsistent play and, and all of those type of things before finally reaping the rewards of their hard labor. This has this, I mean, this has been the season so far that, you know what, when you start talking about where are we going to put this Georgetown team as far as its history is concerned, as far as the accomplishments are concerned, listen, taking into consideration the team's talent level, the team's expectations this year, or the outside expectations this year, other obstacles such as COVID, games being postponed, they had four games in a row postponed over a two-week span in January, canceled, the slow start, the five-game losing streak, one time being three and eight, one time being one and five and dead last in the conference. For them to be at that point during the season and to get where they are now. And again, this wasn't some fluke. This wasn't a situation where they played the lower seeds or Villanova lost or because of COVID uh, restrictions, they were moved on to be in the finals so they didn't have to play this team or they didn't have to play that team. They beat two ranked teams to get to uh, winning the uh, tournament championship. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. So when you take into all of the elements, when we're trying to determine where does Georgetown, where does this Georgetown team stand in the pantheon of Georgetown basketball teams, I'm going to say it, and I don't give a fuck. This is the greatest season in Georgetown basketball history outside of the Hoyas winning the national championship in 1984 and making four Final Fours in their illustrious um, basketball program where they made the Final Four in 1982, 1984, 1985, and 2007. Other than that, you can place this team right up there in terms of the more remarkable, fantastic, glorious seasons in Georgetown basketball history. You can put them right up there. I'm not saying that they're better. I'm not saying that they're lesser, but you can make a strong argument, again, outside of the teams that made the Final Four and outside the team that won the national championship because those were the type of expectations they had. So um, not going to uh, not going to uh, try to put a 13-12 and 12 Georgetown team over a team that won a national championship and made a Final Four. But again, taking everything into consideration, the talent level, the expectations, and other obstacles concerning the season. You have to put this Georgetown squad right up there with some of the more memorable teams in Georgetown history outside of the teams that made the Final Four and won the national championship. They're right up there with the 1979-80 Georgetown Hoya squad that won 26-6 and overall and ranked number 11. The, the best Georgetown team before they became a national power. The best Georgetown team before Patrick Ewing came in and changed the projection, changed the national spotlight for the Georgetown Hoyas. That 1979-80 squad, they were the regular season Big East co-champions. They won the Big East Championship Tournament. They finished number 11 ranked, as I mentioned before, 26-6. and six. They made the uh, final eight of the 1980 NCAA Tournament, losing by one point to Iowa. So the key players on that team, where you're speaking about, where I first fell in love with this team, you're speaking about Craig Sky Shelton, you're speaking about Sleepy Floyd, you're speaking about Eric Smith, and you're speaking about John Bebe Dern. That was the foundation. That was the 
that was the root of the tree that started to sprout what we know now as the Georgetown Hoya basketball program. So that 1979-80 Georgetown Hoya squad, of course, holds a dear place for anybody who falls in love and follows this team. Then, of course, you had the 1986-87 season of Reggie and the Miracles, one of my absolute favorite teams growing up at the time. One of the reasons why I was blessed to have two of my favorite athletes at that time growing up, Len Bias and Reggie Williams, wearing the same jersey. So guess what? I got the award number 34 in honor of my all-time favorite athlete, Len Bias, but also because of Reggie Miller, excuse me, Reggie uh, Williams. And that 1986-87 season where they were one year removed from Patrick Ewing, one year removed or two years removed from winning a national championship, Reggie and the Miracles got it done. That team with Reggie Williams, who was the first team All-American that year, was the number three pick in the NBA draft by the Los Angeles Clippers. But you had Reggie Williams, you had Mark Tillman from Gonzaga High School, you had Perry McDonald from New Orleans, you had Anthony Allen, you had Dwayne Bryant from New Orleans, Mark, uh, Jonathan Edwards from New Orleans, Jaron Jackson from New Orleans, Charles Smith from the district, Sergeant Roddy Hightower, who I believe was 24 or 25, power four when he played for that team. That squad for Coach Thompson went 29 and 5 overall and won the Big East with a 12 and 4 record and won the Big East uh, uh, tournament. And they finished the season number four. They lost to Providence and some guy named Rick Matino. They had Delray Brooks and um, some other guy named. Um, Wow, the coach refused to be... Wow, Wendell, Billy Donovan, good Lord. So yeah, so <clears throat> they lost to that squad, Providence, in the Elite Eight. And um, where was I that day? I was out playing basketball at the University of Maryland with uh, Dave O'Neill, I remember. We drove down there and tried to play uh, some pickup games with a couple of college, with some college guys. But uh, yeah, we're not happy about that, but... You know, they lost to Rick Bettino, finished the season ranked number four in the country. So when we're speaking about all-time great college basketball, Georgetown basketball teams, yeah, you're right. I'm putting this season's Hoyas right up there with Reggie and the Miracles, right up there with the 1979-80 Georgetown Hoyas. I'm putting this squad that's making the tournament at 13-12 and 12 and winning the Big East Conference tournament for the first time in seven years and getting an NCAA tournament berth for the first time in seven years. I'm putting them right up there with the 86-87 team, the 79-80 team, and of course the 1988-89 Georgetown team. That was the first year that Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo came on campus, finished the season 29-5 overall, 13-3 in the Big East. They had Charles Smith, who was the Big East Player of the Year and close to being an All-American. They had Mark Tillman. They had Jaron Jackson. Juco All-American transfer John Turner was also on that team. Lost in the Elite Eight to Duke. Lost to Danny Ferry. Lost to Christian Leitner, who people went gaga over because, you know, he was scored 25 points on like a on like 12 or 13 shooting, but we were so focused on stopping Danny Ferry, it left Christian Leitner wide open, and all he did was hit about 11 layups. So everybody was talking about, ooh, Christian Leitner, Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner was getting nothing but layups. He was getting like NBA All-Star Game layups. So don't be t sitting there talking about how great Christian Leitner is. Now, of course, he turned out to be one of the greatest college basketball players in the history of the sport. But don't talk to me about that with the coming out party for Christian Leitner. That was a situation where he was the recipient of all the attention that the Hoyers were focusing on Danny Ferry. Quinn Snyder was also on that team. Loved myself from Quinn Snyder back when he was playing for Duke. And uh, Thomas Henderson also was on that team. That was Mike Krzyzewski, um really emerging 
as a superstar in the sport. He had he hadn't won a national championship yet, but thanks to Johnny Dawkins of uh, Mackin High School and Tommy Amaker and Jay Billis and Mark Allery and Gene Banks wasn't on that squad. Who else was on that squad? I forgot who else was on that squad. But that that recruiting class back in '82, or the or Shashevsky's first recruiting class, um, was the reason why Mike Shashevsky became Mike Shashevsky, and mainly because of Johnny Dawkins from Mackin High School in the district. But uh, they had lost the uh, championship game a couple of years before to Never Nervous Purpose and Jeff Hall at Louisville, giving Denny Crum his uh, championship. Second championship, Crum won his first one with Dr. Duncan Stein out there in Salt Lake, Utah. I think they beat UCLA and Larry Brown, who was the coach back then. But anyway, um, that game symbolized, you know, the Duke was going to be a national power because they had beaten the mighty Georgetown Hoyas in the Elite Eight, a game that uh, I still don't like to talk about too much. So when you speak about, but then again, you had expectations for Georgetown being that great. Alonzo Mourning was supposed to be the second coming. I mean, he was supposed to be the second in line to uh, Patrick Ewing and the great centers that were coming in for Georgetown. He was the number one high school player by a mile coming out of Chesapeake, Virginia. So when he joined Georgetown, in fact, before he joined Georgetown for a freshman year, he was invited by Coach Thompson to uh, the U.S. Olympic trials. So he got himself a little bit of a head start in terms of what the college game would be like because Coach Thompson who was coaching the 1980 Olympic team, invited Morning to go out and try out and play for those guys. So that was a season where Georgetown was stacked, Georgetown was going to be rolling, and they reached the expectations. You might even argue that they failed to, to reach the expectations because that team was good enough to win the NCAA tournament. Who won that, that year? Who won it that year? Who won it that year? It wasn't Vegas. I forgot who it was, but it wasn't Duke, so screw you. But, uh, so, yeah, but... That 1988-89 squad with Sam Jefferson and those guys, those were one of my favorites and had to go down in Georgetown history as one of the greatest basketball teams of all time. Right there, putting the 2020-21 Georgetown Hoyas right there with them. Not higher, not lower, but in terms of fondness, in terms of uh, reverence, in terms of bringing a tear to my eye. They're right up there. They're right in that VIP section. They're sitting right at that table. So you have that squad. And, of course, John Thompson's last great team, the 1995-96 Georgetown Hoyas, finished the season 29-8 overall, 13-5 in the Big East. You had Allen Iverson. You had Victor Page, legend. You had Jerome Williams. You had Othella Harrington. You had Bubaka Al. You had Jahadi White. That team finished number four nationally ranked. That season, you know, it was a situation where, again, Allen Iverson coming in, basically resurrecting Coach Thompson, giving him one last hurrah at the uh, chance to get that brass ring, a chance to uh, be super relevant again. And uh, that was a great team. That was Iverson's sophomore year, and that was the uh, season they should have won the Big East Conference Tournament, but they lost on a last-second shot to Ray Allen. And it wasn't last second because Iverson came down, missed a shot, and Jerome Williams, the junkyard dog, had a layup right on the right side of the basket, and he blew the layup off the rebound. I remember I was in my parents' home, and I remember after the game was over, I was physically ill. I mean physically ill. I'm not talking about ha-ha-he-he physically ill. I'm not, like, you know, bullshitting physically ill. No, I was physically ill because they had a big lead. Thompson decided to go four corners and milk the clock. 
got Syracuse back in the game and um <clears throat> don't want to talk about that anymore. But they finished its squad. They finished that season ranked number four nationally. They lost to UMass uh, <clears throat> in the final eight during that year. So all of that to say is that despite all of those incredible teams and incredible accomplishments and incredible memories that the those Georgetown Hoyas had right there with them, I'm going to have to put this 2021 Georgetown Hoya squad. Yeah, they're not nationally ranked. Yeah, they're not going to finish in the top 10. Yeah, they're not going to be the number one seed in the tournament. All of those things are true. They might not have had the success as far as record-wise at the teams that I just mentioned. But in terms of reaching expectations, in terms of the joy and the reverence that we'll always have for those guys, for this program... That team that I just mentioned, the 2021 Hoyas, will always have a special place in um, in Georgetown basketball lore. It's the same thing with Rick Pitino's first year, where I think at Kentucky, where he went 14-14 with John Pelfrey and a couple of other guys, Sean Woods, a couple of walk-ons. You ask any huge Kentucky basketball fan to name some of their favorite teams or name some of the most memorable teams or name a team that you are most proud of. Around my age, okay? They'll mention Jack Goose Gibbons going for 44 points to have Kentucky win the 1978 uh, NCAA championship over Duke. They'll have maybe, hopefully, Tubby Smith, um, that uh, championship that he won for Kentucky. You'll have Joe B. Hall and some of the things that he did. You'll have all of these great memories, and you'll be able to have a Kentucky basketball fan you know, recount all of these great teams and all of these great accomplishments and all of these great one-loss records and where they finished in the top five and the top ten and making the final four. But I bet you, you can't go too far before they mention the team that Rick Pitino had at Kentucky his first year when they went 14-14, and when everybody thought that they might not even win five games, let alone 14. The next season... Jamal Mashburn came on board, and that started the uh, Rick Pitino, you know, doing the thing, getting his team to final eights and final fours and winning champion. Well, he, won a, he won one championship at Kentucky, but bringing Kentucky back to uh, national prominence, that team, that was the foundation. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that this squad that I just mentioned, this squad of seniors, this team is going to be the the the, the boomerang the springboard to us talking about georgetown being ranked in the top 10 three to four years down the road from now god willing if i'm still living so that's going to be that's the reason why i say this team had touched me so much this team has given me so much joy yeah even though they were getting their asses blown out by creighton yeah even though they played horrible against marquette yeah, even though they lost to Navy, even though they blew big leads against Butler and Marquette and such, even through all of that, the way they finished, the way they didn't give up, the way they kept persevering. And I got to tell you, how many times did I have to be made a fool of in terms of, this is one of the reasons why I don't sit there and say, you need to do this and you need to do that and Georgetown needs to do this, that. That's the reason why I don't do that shit. Because I was of the... I was of the assumption that Georgetown should just punt on the season. Screw it. You ain't going to make the NCAA tournament. There's no way, no how. You don't have enough uh, 
talent to do so. We know what Jamarco Pickett is. We know what Javon Blair is. Kudus Wahab is not there yet. Jalen Harris can't shoot. He left the team for personal reasons and never came back. So now we're having a freshman point guard who was a three-star recruit playing 38, 39 minutes a game. Our bench is very thin. Chudier Bile looks like he's never... He's never picked up a basketball and played before. We might have to explain to him what the rules are. He looks so lost and out of and out of a touch in terms of playing basketball for the first part of the season. I said, man, put on this season. Get ready for next season. Go ahead and play TJ Berger. Go ahead and play Colin Holloway. Go ahead and play uh Jabari Sibley. Or Jabari Sibley. Go ahead and play those guys. Go ahead and play Berger. Why not? And I'm not saying play those guys 40 minutes a game or 35 minutes a game, but damn, you can't give Kobe Clark 10 minutes a game. You can't give uh, TJ Berger 8 minutes a game. We're going to need these guys next year, and you're worried about winning this year, coach. Come on, man. Kobe Clark comes out against UMBC, grabs 10 rebounds. We've never heard from again. TJ Berger scores 10 points and hits some clutch shots against St. John's in an overtime victory. He's never seen again. Colin Holloway, he's never seen until later on this season. What the hell is going on? Jabari Sibley makes some good plays in the first half, and then in the second half, he didn't sniff the court because you're playing Jamarco Pickett and Chudier Belade the entire time, along with Javon Blair. Well, what, what, what's up with this, coach? Man, you're up here trying to win like your job depends on it. Punt on this season, man, and get ready for when we have the recruiting class. Get ready so we can have something for Aminu Muhammad and his five-star greatness to go along with Ryan Matambo and Tyler Beard and Jordan Riley so we can have something for those guys to kind of uh, rely on. That was my that was my deal. And even when they came back and started winning a couple of games, I was like, eh, okay, uh, we're five and eight now. Well, big deal. A win is really not a big deal to me. I, I said it on my podcast. You can go back and check. I need the downloads. I was like, eh. They're not playing the kids. What's the point of trying to win this game with four guys who aren't going to be here next year? Why are you giving three to four guys 25 to 30 minutes a game to win a game that's meaningless? Because we're not making the tournament. We're not making the NIT. We're not going to even make 500. So why are you wasting your time playing Jamarco Pickett 39 minutes? Why are you wasting your time playing Javon Blair 40 minutes? Why are you wasting your time not playing the kids? Wendell, you are a fucking idiot because look who's in the tournament now and look who won the Big East Conference tournament uh, now and look who's gaining all the momentum now and look who was the star of the show in terms of putting the spotlight during the college basketball tournament uh, week outside of teams dropping out because of COVID like Kansas and Duke and Virginia the star of the week with the Georgetown Hoyas, free publicity. And when after the Villanova game, when Patrick Ewing said this. Um, but I do want to say one thing, though. They, I, I thought this was my building, and I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. Everybody in this building should know who the hell I am. And I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is my number in the rafters or what? Gold. Absolute, undeniable gold for the program. 
That was shown on ESPN. That was shown on Fox. That was being replayed on podcasts. That was being replayed on sports talk shows. That was being replayed on the national shows, the local shows, sports talk radio. Fantastic. Glorious. Band glorious. So it's been an awesome, fantastic, extremely, extremely productive week for the Georgetown Hoyas to get that program moving. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Look, on my next podcast, I'm going to break it down. I don't got time right now to be sitting there talking about Gonzaga's chances of winning and who are they going to be playing and who are they going to be facing and Illinois and Michigan and Ohio State and all the teams from the Big 12 and the Big 10 and who didn't make it and who should have made it and who shouldn't have made it and all those type of things. I'll worry about that a little bit later. I don't do brackets. I don't care. And as I mentioned before, when Georgetown was in the tournament, I barely paid attention to it anyway. So for the first time in a while, I'm going to be super excited. You can almost say it's almost been a decade because after Georgetown would lose, whether they would lose to Davidson, whether they would lose to Florida Gulf Coast, whether they would lose to VCU, whether they would lose to Ohio, I was so disappointed, crushed, and hurt. But you think I want to stick around and watch any more of the uh, NCAA basketball tournament when Georgetown failed again, whether it was losing to uh, Utah, whether it was losing to North Carolina State? Hell no, I didn't want to have any part of the NCAA tournament. When the Georgetown basketball season ends, college basketball season ends. Unless you're in a situation like this, where Georgetown gets in, overachieves, whatever. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be watching, and I'm going to be rooting on my team. And when Georgetown loses the first or second or third game they play, I'm still going to enjoy the fact that I'm going to watch the rest of the tournament, knowing the direction my program the Georgetown Hoyas is going that direction is up that direction is toward a relevant is toward relevant town and I am feeling fantastic so I want to thank you very much Coach Ewing I want to thank you very much Dante Harris I want to thank you very much Chudier Belay I want to thank you very much Don Carey I want to thank you very much Kudus Wahab I want to thank you very much even the guys who didn't get any run I want to thank you very much TJ Berger I want to thank you very much Malcolm Wilson I want to thank you very much to Timothy Ego Hefe I want to thank you Javon Blair I want to thank all those guys for what they did and to start the Georgetown Hoyas basketball program back to not just relevance, but being elite. your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us a lot of things going down today in the world of sports feeling good feeling fantastic feeling on top of the world about my Georgetown Hoyas still euphoria is still strong it's still awesome it's still fantastic and look for the next couple of weeks as I mentioned before 
the NCAA is going to be at the uh, head of the table, is going to be the leading star of the show, is going to have the spotlight on them with everything going down with March Madness. We don't know what COVID is going to be bringing. We don't know what type of element COVID is going to bring in terms of uh, positive tests and what's going to be happening if teams uh, you know, get COVID and all those type of things. But for the next 24, 48, 72 hours, and then moving on till the first, to the first and second round in Indianapolis, the college basketball tournament is going to be the king of the show. But with all of that euphoria and goodwill and positive thoughts and thinkings and everything, you know, the NCAA basketball tournament, you have people with the brackets, you have people making the bets. I know out here living in Las Vegas, one of the busier times for us, as far as the strip is concerned, it's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. People from Utah, people from California, people from Colorado, people from Arizona, people from all over the country. They fly on in to the wind. They fly on in to the Paris and to the MGM and to the Mandalay and to the Luxor and to the Bellagio and all them places. And they spend all that money. And being a resident out here of Las Vegas, of Nevada, the state of Nevada that doesn't pay any state tax, I say, come on down. Come on now, let's get that let's let's get back and get that strip packed again during those four days for the NCAA tournament. I want to see the Bellagio packed. I want to see Caesars packed. I want to see the Cosmopolitan packed. I want to see the Wind packed. I want to see all them places packed. Not even on the strip. I want to see even places off the strip. I want to see the Red Rock packed. I want to see uh, what used to be the uh, Flamingo, the, not the Flamingo, what's that? The Westgate. I want to see the Westgate packed. I want to see Arizona Charlie's packed. I want to see all them places packed. Because more money being put down in our economy means, guess what? Our roads are going to be fixed quicker. That means little Johnny can go to school in a place where it's going to be a lot safer. So yeah, man, that money that you bring, look, look, it's not about gambling, y'all. Just think about it like this. You're making a contribution to the youth of America when you come in and lose your money playing blackjack, when you lose your money on that parlay, when you lose your money at the slot machines. Just think about it. It's not a matter. You're not losing money. You're making a donation. Just think about those children out there that need to study. Just think about those children out there who need to learn. Just think about those children out there who need adequate books and Chromebooks and, and, and schools to go to and roads where they can take the school bus and go to school that way and the sidewalks and everything that need to be repaired. You're not doing it for it. It's just not a matter of you guys losing money and doggone it, shoot, this is horrible. I can't believe this. You're making a donation. It's not a loss. It's a donation. So when you... When you have, when you're at 20 and the dealer at the five cards hits 21, don't shoot darn fuck damn I can't believe this bullshit in terms of you losing money. Just think about, yes! I can't believe it. This is great. Now little Johnny gets an opportunity to go to a school where it's gonna be pristine and it's gonna be fabulous. It's gonna give him the best opportunity to get an education. So when I get a little bit older and he gets a little bit older, he'll be able to take care of me. It's not losing money. It's an investment. You're making an investment in the youth out here in Clark County, Nevada. Think about it that way. And it'll be so much better. But with all that being said, and this is just all my way to tie the story to something that I want to talk about. The money and the NCAA and the positive vibes and everything that they're going to be talking about and college athletics and wonderful this, that, and the other. And we hear the stories and we hear it about the players, the student athletes and all those, all those giddy doos. But there's something that I wanted to talk about. I don't know if it's past the expiration date in terms of relevance, but 
I want to talk about it anyway, because a podcast ago, I was speaking about the Texas fight song in terms of should it be played and its racist tones and uh, how it originated and why it shouldn't be played. And these donors coming in talking about if you don't play it, my, I'm not going to be donating and I'm not going to be buying season tickets and all those things. Check out my last podcast. I talked about it. But within all of that, there was something that I just glossed over. And I want to hit it a little bit harder again. And then I want to peel back a little bit of the layers of the story and get into something a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper concerning it. Um, in case you don't remember, Les Miles was recently fired from his head coaching position at Kansas. Now, he was fired three days after being placed on administrative leave amid accusations of inappropriate behavior toward female students during his head coaching tenure at LSU. So the report was released on behalf of LSU a few weeks ago. It said that in 2013, an internal investigation by the school accused Miles of inappropriate behavior toward female students. It also included allegations of, <laughs> come on, man, these folks, of uh, texting female students, taking them to his condo alone, making them feel uncomfortable, and on at least one occasion, kissing a student and, suggest and su uh, suggesting they go to a hotel after telling her he could help her career. I think Les is, my, is married with kids. What in the name of Al Bundy is going on? I'm an, I work for the Clark County School District. And look, I'm not a college professor. I'm not a coach or anything. But I am around children, teenagers, this, that, and the other. The one thing in my long tenure of being a substitute teacher sometimes a vacancy teacher, sometimes filling in and teaching and doing lesson plans and calling parents for months at a time. One thing you are told, one thing that is ingrained, one thing, if you don't learn anything in terms of trying your best to keep your job, the one thing that you'll learn, the one thing that you need to know more than anything else, don't mess if you're a male teacher, do not mess with female students under any circumstances. And when I'm talking about no mess around with the female students, I'm not just talking about inappropriate touching or anything like that. I'm talking about no hugs. Do not be in a place with them alone. Don't do anything. Don't do anything that's going to get you in trouble. When I'm at a school, and say, for instance, I'm at my desk. Or at the teacher's desk. And the student, a female student comes up and says, Mr. Wallace, can I go to the bathroom? And I say, yeah, go ahead. As soon as that female student turns around to walk to the door, my eyes immediately, immediately turn in the opposite direction. I, don't, I never look at a female student from behind. Never. Never. And when a female student comes up to me, I, my eyes or my neck or my head is looking directly at her forehead or directly looking at her brow, or directly looking at her eyes. I don't go any lower than that. No, 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 no. That might be a little bit extreme, but this, that, and the other. But let me tell you something, man. Now, this is a little bit different because Les is dealing with college-A students. But let me tell you something, man. I don't want to be put in a position to where um a, a kid might be angry at me, or I might, might have substituted at this school before, and I might have had a... 
I might have had to do some disciplinary action in terms of sending her to the dean or something like that. And one of her friends come up and ask me to go to the bathroom. And I say yes. And I don't turn my eyes directly um, away. And it might be my eyes are in the direction of her walking away. There might be a female student there who I pissed off. Who's trying to get back at me. Who can easily say, hey, guess what? Jane, when you walked away to go to the bathroom, Mr. Wallace eyes were looking at your ass or were looking at your butt. I don't, you know, I, I, I've heard stories of worse. I've heard stories of, I mean, I've heard stories of kids, you know, telling on some nonsense about teachers and about substitutes. And all they need to do is say, hey, you know what? I don't feel comfortable around Mr. Smith. I don't feel comfortable around Mr. Jones. A female student has to say that. And at least out here in Clark, Clark County, the thing is that they will fire you first and do an investigation second. And when they find out that it wasn't true, the chances of you being rehired are really not that good. So I don't ever want to put myself in a position where it's that he said, she said. Because a lot of times, even if the woman is, or even if the girl is lying, they will place you on leave first before finding it out. And I can't afford to be missing days. I can't afford to be missing weeks. So for me, no, 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 no. I never, ever, ever put myself in a position where it could be a he said, she said. So if I'm in the classroom by myself in between periods and a female student walks in in between the classes before the uh, bell rings to start the next class, if she walks in, I immediately walk to the door or I'm at the front of the door where someone can see me, where an adult can see me. Because <clears throat> like I said before, I don't ever want to put myself in the position. You never meet with a, if you're a male teacher, you never meet with a female student in a classroom by yourself where it's just him and her. I don't care what your intentions are. 98% of the time, the intentions of the male teachers are not to do anything crass or unprofessional or creepy. But, you know, we're dealing with kids. And so we don't put ourselves in those situations. So this all ties back to Les Miles, man. No, don't know. The, asking them to go to his condo alone? Are you out of your flipping mind? <laughs> I mean, forget the woman could be 22. She's a senior. She came back to college. She, whatever the reason is, you know, 22 is technically an adult, but she is still a college student. And God forbid if the kid is 18 years old, one year removed from high school, you have got to be out of your flipping mind to ask someone to come to your condo, making them feel uncomfortable and at least one occasion kissing a student. No, 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 no. <laughs> Even if you think about some shit like that, you could get fired. So, Less. what in the name of glory hell are you doing? The report did not find he had sexual relationships with any of the women, and Miles strongly denied kissing the students, saying he didn't do anything wrong, and that he was mentoring young women at the university. Mentoring young women at the university by following them on social media? Texting them? Asking them to come to their condo alone? I don't even care if it was a group. No! If you're going to be meeting with students... Male or female, hell no, you don't ask him to go to your condo. Hell no, you don't ask him to see him alone. Come on, Les, you know better than that. Again, even if your intentions were pure, even if you were like, hey, you know what, this kid or this young lady is going to be something great, and, you know, I see a lot of leadership skills in her, and I see a lot of potential for her to, you know, rule the world and 
this, that, and the other. Michelle Obama and and Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton all rolled into one. Do 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 times ten. Even if you had those thoughts and feelings about the person in terms of their potential to be outstanding people in their career fields, no, 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 no. You do not ask those women to come to your place alone to your condo. You do not text them. No, 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 no. So I, I don't know. Then the fact that he did not have sexual relationships, well, great. I mean, if the, well, I mean, 18, I guess you can have sex with uh, someone if they're 18, right? You don't, you don't be put, are you put in jail for that? I don't know. I have no interest in having sex with a female 18 to 22 years old, so uh, I wouldn't know. So I don't, I don't have to worry about that. It's like asking me, you know, what's the legal age to drink? I don't know. I know it's over 51, so I'm, I'm fine. So, you know, whatever. I'm not going backwards in life as far as age is concerned. So the limit on when you can drink, all I know is I'm past it, so I don't care. I don't have any kids, so I don't care. So the Miles also sexualized the football team staff of women student workers. <laughs> He demanded that they hire blondes who were fit. And the existing student employees who did, who did not meet his criteria should be given fewer hours or be terminated. This is what he was doing when he was at LSU. <laughs> I mean, what? Is there anybody there? Is there any adult who's there who's going to be like, gee, you know what? This just is not, this is not, this is not kosher. I mean, I know he's beating Alabama and I know he's got a top five program and I know how important that the football program is to the community. I know all these things, but um, is is it just me or do I find any of these things like completely unprofessional and completely, um, you know, no, no, non-starter in terms of what's kosher and what's not kosher? Two student workers also filed sexual misconduct complaints against him when he was at LSU, speaking of Miles. One of which resulted in a debate among the university leaders to fire Miles. Then, in his ninth season as coach, and two years removed from completing from uh, competing in the national championship game, they had another deal in terms of, what, what are we going to do about this? And the second report conducted by the law firm of, Hutch, of Hirsch Blackwell details sex, uh, systematic failures by LSU to appropriately report incidents of athletic-related sexual misconduct and abuse. Part of the report showed that former LSU athletic director Joe Oliva recommended in 2013 that Miles be fired as coach because of the accusations of inappropriate behavior with his female students. But, you know, because he was winning football games and because he was bringing in a lot of money and because he was bringing in a lot of acclaim and because he was bringing in a lot of the spotlight and because of those things that led to a, a higher enrollment in terms of the student body population at LSU, because as we know, when we're speaking about big time universities and we're speaking about major universities we're speaking about universities that are in the ncaa power five conferences whether it be in the acc or the big 12 or the pac 12 or the big 10 or the big 12 who i just mentioned before or the sec those schools are reliant upon having a strong athletic department namely either the basketball or football program some you know venture off in terms of having a strong baseball program that's great a strong wrestling program, that's great. But the cash cow for these universities in terms of the athletic department is concerned in the sports that they participate in is men's football and men's basketball. So when you have somewhere like an LSU 
and you have the storied history of that program, of that football program, and that's one of your selling points to increase the enrollment to bring a student from not just from the Baton Rouge area or from the state of Louisiana and the surrounding areas and surrounding regions, but also kids from not just all over the country, but from all over the world. One of the things that you can point to in terms of the reason why they should go there is also is the uh, is the football squad, is the athletics. So with Miles doing that, is the administration really going to go ahead and fire him because he's texting female students, because he's making a couple of female students be a little bit uneasy, queasy? I mean, if you're in that board meeting or if you're on the trustees, if you're the president, if you're the uh, AD, I mean, it is a situation where, yeah, what he's doing is wrong. What he's doing is creepy. What he's doing is unacceptable. What he's doing wouldn't be allowed for the chemistry professor or for other professors, regardless of tenure at the university. That probably wouldn't fly too much. But because this is Les Miles, because he is a public figure, because he is helping bring in a boatload of money, because he is helping with our university in terms of bringing in people to go to college here, do we really want to cut off that cash cow? Do we really want to uh, put that in jeopardy? And the answer was no. So Oliva, one of the things that got uh, Miles fired, well, the main thing that got Miles fired was he uh, starts he started losing football games, or he started losing too many football games, and all the bullshit that came with Les Miles wasn't worth it. When he was winning national championships, when he was competing for national championships, when he had LSU in the top five or top six or top seven every year, when he was bringing in top five recruiting classes, then yeah, you know what? All that bullshit that he was doing was worth it. When he stopped doing all those things, when he stopped winning bowl games, when he stopped bringing in the amount of money that was expected, and when he started losing football games to teams that he shouldn't be losing football games to, then all of a sudden those things started to become a little bit more of a problem. And that's the reason why he was fired. When Joe Oliva was like, hey, look, man, you know, what you're doing with these students, you need to stop. What you're doing with these females, texting them and inviting them over to your house, you need to stop. And Les Miles said, go fuck yourself because I'm Les Miles and you're the AD. And if they're going to get rid of somebody, are they going to get rid of you or are they going to get rid of me? I'm sorry. Who beat Nick Saban last season? I'm sorry. Who played in the national championship game last season? I'm sorry. Who's going out to all of these uh, functions and bringing in money? I'm sorry. Who's the person behind all of this, um, all of this money raising? All of this money that we're getting, I'm sorry, who's the person that they put on the brochures? Whose football team do they put on the brochures when they send out to prospective students to come to this school? Is it you or is it me? Who's responsible for this football tour program being great? Is it you or is it me? Let's go out to the community and let's ask if you can get rid of one person in the athletic department, Les Miles, me, or you, Joe Avila, what's the overwhelming majority of the community folks are going to say they're going to say get rid of you more importantly let's go to the let's go to the uh, uh the, the the alumni let's go to those who are given money big time money the donations to the university donations to the athletic department donations and money to uh support our teams and ask them who's more important ask them what would happen if they fired me instead of you? If that's going to come down to it. All of a sudden, those those alumni groups, all of a sudden, those big money donors, they're going away. So guess what, Joe? 
You can tell me not to be meeting with these girls. You can try to tell me to do these things. But I can also tell you to go suck my dick and call me Rick because it ain't going to happen. Get the fuck out of my office. Don't ever bring up this subject with me again. That's what Les Miles can say in, in I guess, in no uncertain terms, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> maybe with that, maybe not by using that type of language or having that type of conversation, but when Joe Avila, who's technically his boss, because he was the athletic di director, told Les Miles to knock it off and stop doing these things, Miles continued to do it. So, yeah. again, he could have he got to do it because he was winning football games. When they stopped winning football games, then all of a sudden it became a problem and he was fired. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, Les, this was all uh, swept under the rug. I mean, this happened years ago, and we really didn't hear about it again until, what, five, six years later? So, <clears throat> because of his hiring as a coach at the University of Kansas, <clears throat> and all of this stuff, <clears throat> excuse me, all of this stuff now coming to light, the university and the athletic director, Jeff Long, the person who hired Miles to uh, coach the football team, they mutually parted ways. And when Long was asked at a press conference directly about how thoroughly he vetted Miles in the hiring process, <laughs> he said, we ran multiple background checks on Coach Miles before hiring him in 2018. He says he directly asked Miles if there was anything in his background that could embarrass the school. Uh, <clears throat> he received no indications of those issues. R really, <clears throat> really, really. So you asked him, we ran multiple background checks on Coach Miles. Did you check with Joe Oliva? Did you check with the ULSU president? Did you check with anybody at the LSU, uh, you know, in the LSU administration? Did you check with anybody? Who did you check with? What, Les Miles' kids and his wife? Who did you check with? He said that he asked Miles directly if there was anything in his background that could embarrass the school. What do you think he's going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I forgot to mention there was this time where you know, I was, uh, you know, running around, you know, kissing, trying to kiss the uh, co-eds and then inviting them to my uh, house and inviting them to my condo and texting them and harassing them. But other than that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I'm I'm St. Less. So, I mean, you know, give me a flipping uh, break. So Long was asked if he had, if he, uh, well, Long said that he asked Miles if he had done anything in his past that could potentially embarrass him and... Miles said no. And that's what you went on, huh? That's what you said? Oh, okay. Fine, no problem. <clears throat> Man, who 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 is going to be... Where is Jeff Long going to be working next? If Jeff Long is going to be working in a place where he's going to be hiring people, I need to go there. Because I can get there and say, you know what, I'm the fucking king of England and uh, discovered America in 1492, but I drink a lot of green drinks, so I age well. Good Lord, if you're if you're someone of ill repute, Ill, Ill repute, and you're looking for a job, find out where Jeff Long is hiring, so he can ask you, hey, have you done anything that could possibly uh, potentially embarrass us? Nope, not me. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm clean. Okay, well, thank you very much, Mister Bundy. I'm um, I'm quite sure that uh, you'll be happy to work here. We're going to put you in our young ladies division, so I'm quite sure that you'll be wonderful. Uh, did you, do you, have you done anything in the past that might potentially embarrass us, Mr. Gary Ridgway? 
Oh, nothing at all? No, okay, fantastic. You know what? We'll go ahead and we will uh, give you the assignment where, you know, there's a lot of hookers around and we'll leave you unsupervised, but I'm quite sure you'll be able to hang handle yourself in that situation. Jeez, don't flippity flop. Oh, yes, Mr. Madoff. Nothing that ever, uh, just, you've never done anything nefarious or anything like that? Fantastic. Well, I'll just take your word for it. You seem like a nice guy. Unflipping believable. So, because of that, because of his lack of due diligence in the hiring process, Kansas had to pay Miles almost $2 million to buy out his contract and tell him to go away. So, just a whole deal concerning LSU, the whole deal concerning Les Miles, the whole deal concerning Jeff Long, just the whole deal here in college athletics. Again, just beyond reproach in terms of just in terms of derelict to your duties and just an, just an embarrassing situation. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Bonjour. Bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell's World in Sports. Your host, Wendell Wallace. No, mi amo a Wendell Wallace. My name is my name is Wendell's World in Sports. My name is Wendell Wallace, and this is Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa. You know, I'm taking a look at some of the highlights and some of the replays here of uh, some of these conference tournament games. And I'm like, what? And I was listening to a little bit of the broadcast uh, later on, or earlier in the day. And I'm like, they're showing LSU and Alabama, the finals for the SEC conference uh, tournament uh, championship. And I'm up here going, why, why, why are we singing the praises of Will Wade? Will Wade is a scumbag, man. Will Wade is a fucking jackass. And just really, he's a cheating scumbag. Why why are, why is why is ESPN and Dick Vitale and Carl Ravage and these guys? I know they're employees of ESPN, so they can't get on the broadcast and talk about what a lowlife of a basketball coach and a human being Will Wade is, but it's just like it's I don't know. It, it just seems wrong. You know, this whole bullshit. And I'm gonna get into this in just a second. You know, in the election, where people are talking about, yeah, you know, I'm not racist. Yeah, you know what? I want unity. Yeah, I want harmony. Yeah, I want to have, you know, love and peace and togetherness for all people. And, you know, I'm a very tolerable guy and everything like that. So I'm going to go ahead and vote for the previous guy that was in the White House whose name I won't uh, uh, pronounce. And it's like, well, all right, wait a minute here. If you're so gung-ho, if you're so kumbaya, 
If you're so Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King in terms of wanting everybody to love each other and be together and no racism and no bigotry and um, respect for all and respect for others, how in the fuck can you say that? And then, and I'm asking this question to 74 million fucking people, how can you people say that and then vote for the idiot that was in the White House? Now, maybe if you're not part of that deal, I can understand it, but a lot of people who I knew, it was like, yeah, you know what? I love everybody. Yeah, no racism here. I don't like racism. I hate racism. I hate bigots. I hate uh, misogynistic people. I hate all those people. I hate, I hate those type of people. And then you're going to go vote for the piece of shit who symbolized all of those things and then some in the White House. You're going to vote for that for four more years. It's kind of like the same thing with the, uh, with, with college athletics. When these people talk about the sanctity of the sport and a couple of years ago, Condoleezza Rice came on there. We're talking about, you know, with all the corruption and all of the rule breaking and everything that's going on in college basketball, we need to go ahead and get it back the way that it used to be. We need to go ahead and really start valuing our student athletes. And we really need to make it understood the importance of what a college degree is. And we need to stop uh, wanting to professionalize amateur sports. And we need to get back to the good old days where no one got paid and the scholarship meant more than anything and all this type of shit. And it's like, how the fuck can you say all these things about wanting to get back to the good old days and wanting to get back to pure, the purity of sports where the student athletes are truly student athletes and then you're up here singing the praises of Will fucking Wade? How does that make any sense? Where are we going with that? Explain to me that one. Again, look, the SEC paying ESPN a lot of money. So I understand that Carl Ravage and those guys can't get on the air and do a diatribe like I did about what a low-life Will Wade is as a basketball coach and how he bent the rules, cheat the rules, did everything, uh, threw people under the bus, and this motherfucker still had the job. I, I understand that the broadcasters, the announcers, anything that you want to say, anything associated with ESPN, I, I know they can't say that. But, gee, does it make it any less scummy? Should it make it any more uncomfortable, again, when we're singing the praises about how unbelievable Will Wade is. And no one's talking about he's Father Flanagan and no one's talking about this guy should be winning the Nobel Peace Prize and no one's sitting up there talking about uh, John Cheney, John Thompson, Will Wade. I understand that, but it's like, if there's anybody you want to root against, it's Will Wade, even more than Cheetah Perry. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And all of this, all of that comment... All of those thoughts and opinions led to me going back to Les Miles and his head coaching career at LSU. You know what? Same thing with Auburn. Guys in the community, just fans, just admit, you're cheaters and we don't care. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And the bottom line is we're going to win. If we have to cheat to do it, we're going to cheat to do it. If we're going to have to put sexual predators on the campus, then we're going to have to do that. If we're going to uh, put people on campus that don't belong there in the sake of winning games, the sake of winning bowl games, and the sake of winning football games and basketball games and baseball games, then so be it. Just be honest with us. Just say that. And we can make a determination. Just say, you know what? We value winning. We value our athletic department a whole lot. Now, we don't want women to be raped. We don't want women to be harassed. We don't want women to be sexually assaulted. But if... Something like that happens every blue moon, every so often in the pursuit of winning 
championships in football and baseball and basketball. Well, I mean, we don't want it to happen, but, you know, that's life. Life ain't fair, so there you go. If if, if big-time universities like Auburn and LSU could say shit like that, I would have a lot more respect for you. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's gross. It's absolutely gross. Getting back to Les Miles and this whole thing with LSU, he was the head coach at, at, at the football team from 2005 to 2016. Led the Tigers to the national championship game twice, winning it in 2007. Got back there. Remember that game that they played against Alabama? Ooh, that said, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't have a playoff because uh, we have to uh, be subjugated to this. Two SEC schools, and they're going to be playing this type of football. Yeah, we're going to lose a lot of popularity in our sport. So we need to do something a little bit different. But he led LSU to the national championship game twice, winning it in 2007. Thank you very much, Jamarcus Russell. In 2011, I don't think, was Jamarcus Russell the quarterback of that team? Okay. In 2011, he, uh, several organizations, including National, the Associated Press, named him the National Coach of the Year in 20. 13th of January, LSU awarded him with a two-year contract extension that increased his salary to $4.3 million per year, making him the fourth-highest-paid college football coach in the country at that time. Remember, this is the same time that the university was aware that he was, at the very least, um, no, the stalking is not the word, he was harassing, making females feel uncomfortable. Basically, he was a creep. Basically, he was uh, a Chester. So, but, you know, he's won football games, several organizations, Associated Press, naming him the National Coach of the Year. Again, exposure, 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 exposure. Exposure means more money, more positive press, more money, bigger platform to talk about your university, bigger enrollment, higher enrollment, more money. So, again, being one of the forefronts of that, because it's very nice on a Saturday afternoon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock on CBS, when LSU is playing their conference games against Florida or Auburn or Texas A&M or that prime time game that used to have at 8 o'clock on a Saturday Eastern Standard Time when they're playing LSU, the game of the season and all those type of things. Very nice to have those millions upon millions of people watching where they can see that 30-second, one-minute infomercial espousing the virtues of your university and all the great things that uh, your university has. You get that free recruiting, bigger and better than anything else. Less Miles is the reason for that. The LSU football program is the reason for that. So there's always been the facts that when you have a strong athletic department, it um, it correlates or it, uh, it, it goes over to the student enrollment. So, hey, you know what? Miles is doing his thing, getting us all this publicity. Why not make him one of the highest paid coaches in college football? And if he's making a few females feel uncomfortable uh, during that time, if he's doing something that's uh, not kosher, eh, oh, well, again, we're also going to be getting that 8 o'clock Saturday afternoon primetime slot in November where millions upon millions of people are going to be watching, where we can talk about how great our university is. So, you know, there we go. All about winning. All about winning. All about winning. And LSU, do this again. Hey, look, 
when we win, we get paid. When we win, our enrollment goes up. When we win, more people are going to LSU. When we win, more people are going to college from that region, coming out with degrees, and then moving on to become productive citizens. So if we have to sacrifice a few females for us to be that way, if we had to put some sexual predators on our campus, which happened to be able to run a 4-240, which are 6'7", 210 pounds, and can shoot a three-point shot, put the ball on the floor, and finish at the rim. If we can bring somebody in here who's a hell of a left fielder, well then, hey, you know, again, take a look at the big picture. If a few ladies have to be sacrificed, the bigger picture is a lot greater. If LSU again could just come out and say that, it would be fine. So when I'm up here yelling and screaming about Les Miles, someone can say, yeah, Wendell, you know, all those things that you mentioned about, is there? I'm not going to argue that fact. I'm not going to say that, you know what, he didn't do it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But take a look at the bigger picture. Take a look at, at Les Miles, him being the football coach during that time and the success that he had during that time. And maybe you can bring me some statistics. Maybe you can bring me something in terms of during his time at LSU when he put the football program back on the map because there was a little lull between Saban winning the championship in 03 and then Miles coming in, a Michigan guy. Many people thought he was going to be the Michigan coach, but he came in after Saban left LSU to go to the Miami Dolphins. And he came in and maintained and brought it up another notch uh, as far as the consistent winning and championships are concerned. So someone from the LSU rah-rah alumni down and I'm, I'm down with the LSU Tiger, you know, Tiger forever, all that type of stuff. A really smart guy, maybe a lawyer, maybe someone a lot smarter than me. Not, you wouldn't have to look far. Maybe you can uh, talk to me about, yeah, you know, Wendell, all of these things are true concerning Les Miles. All of the accusations, they're true. Some of the things that we did in terms of making bad decisions that put our student body in, in harm, especially the females, who were living on the LSU campus. Yeah, we, we, we put their health and risk and their bodies and beings at, at, at risk. We, we, we admit that. We didn't do it on purpose, but we took that chance, and unfortunately it failed. But take a look at the overall, take a look at the totality of what Les Miles was all about when he was here from 2005 and 2016. Take a look at the success of the LSU football program, and then take a look at the success of the enrollment. Take a look at the increased enrollment that came to LSU because of the football team. And take a look at the graduates. And take a look at what the fields of study that they graduated in. And take a look at some of our alumni and what they're doing in the community. Take a look at some of our alumni and what they're doing in terms of helping others. Take a look at our alumni in that regard. You know, it's... It, who knows if this wonderful person who's doing wonderful work and he's a wonderful husband and he's a wonderful father or this, 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 this female who didn't get sexually assaulted by any of our student athletes. Look what she's doing. She came to LSU because she saw LSU playing off on a, on a, on a football game on a Saturday afternoon. And, you know, her father was a big LSU fan. So he convinced her along with the other, rest of the family to go to LSU. And because she was watching that football game that she, became in, entrenched. She became um, really uh, gung-ho 
about going and taking a look at the campus, which she did, and she fell in love with the place, and because of that, she met her husband there, and she got a degree there, and now she's doing this, and now she's doing that, and she's an awesome person, she's in the church, she's doing community service in the community, she's helping old ladies across the street, she's getting cats out the trees, she's um, doing everything, and that might not have happened if she didn't go to LSU. That might not have happened, for instance, if she, for instance, wasn't a if LSU didn't have that platform because of this football program to introduce her to this university that was going to change her life, she might have gone to Texas A&M and become a, a, a bum. She might have gone to uh, she might have gone to Mississippi State and become a street hooker. She might have gone to uh, Vanderbilt and become a, a pole dancer. She might have uh, gone to another college, or she might not have gone to college at all. She might have gone to a junior college, got herself pregnant at the age of 19, and then sitting in the trailer park over in Tupelo, Mississippi, doing nothing with her life. She, we, we, might, we might have saved someone from a life of crime. We might have saved someone from just uh, contributing to the penal system. Thank goodness that she saw this LSU football game. So, Wendell, yes, some of the things that happened with LSU... Some of the things that Les Miles was doing, some of the things that we allowed in the name of winning football and ba baseball and basketball games might not have been the best, but look at the totality of our existence here. And just because no one's perfect, just because we made a few mistakes doesn't mean that you need to bastardize us and talk about what horrible human beings we, we are. We're not Ted Bundy. We're not the Grim Sleeper. We're not Samuel Little. We're not any of those guys. We're some good people like just you and me and anybody else. We make mistakes. And we're learning every day from them. So there you go. If they would have come out with that long shtick right there, I mean, hell, 74 million people voted for an incompetent, racist, bigoted fool. There's enough stupid people in this country that, yeah, they could justify it. <laughs> Especially around that region if their football team is winning games. So... Yeah, they could, they could do that. Again, Les Miles didn't get fired because all of a sudden he was recruiting people who had no business being on college campuses. He wasn't fired because he was creeping out and sexually harassing co-ed females. He wasn't fired because he was bringing sexual predators onto his campus so they could run the football for him. No, 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 no. Les Miles was fired in 2016 because LSU got off to a 2-2 two and two start and their offense was antiquated. And despite all of the incredible skill position players that they had at the wide receiver and running back position, he couldn't he couldn't mentor or he couldn't develop a quarterback to save his life. And the offense got stuck in the 1980s. That's the reason why Les Miles was fired. It had nothing to do with that other stuff. So embarrassing, disappointing criminal activity within the LSU Athletic Department. That's been the norm for that program for the past few years. And let me give you some examples here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. You got former and now Washington football player, last time I checked, running back Darius Geis. Remember that guy? High school resume was rated by rivals as a five-star recruit, ranked second in the, ranked second at the best High school running back at that time, participated in the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, equivalent to the McDonald's All-American game for basketball, high school basketball players. Big, big recruit, big signee. Well, in the spring semester of 2016, he was a member of the, uh, 
a member of the LSU diving team, a female member of the LSU diving team, told her coach and an athletic department administrator that Geitz had raped her after she'd pass out drunk at a party. Then that summer, a female student told two senior athletic administrators that Geist took a partially nude photograph of her without her permission and then shared it with the team equipment manager and possibly others. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're not through yet. We're not done yet. We're not done with this animal. In April of 2017, the athletic department received reports of a second rape allegation against Geist, this time by a women tennis, tennis player. And just to make it even worse, not saying, I don't know. I'm just, okay, let's just let, let, let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. And to make it even worse, this man is out here raping white women. <laughs> not saying that raping black women or any other type of women is, is, is better, but it's kind of like, man, are, are you, are you trying, do you realize where you're at? Do you realize where you're going to school? Do you realize what region of the country that you're in right now? And you're going to be running around doing this with white women? Doing with black women, any type of women is bad enough. You're going to risk it even more by going after white women? So federal laws and LSU, LSU's own uh, policies require university officials to take such allegations seriously and report them to the Title IX office for investigation as well as the campus police if the incidents occur on school property. Shouldn't then the campus police take it to the local police or some type of police to where this guy can be arrested immediately and spend the next 20 or 30 or 40 years in prison? What is Darius Geist doing walking the streets? If you're a father of a female around that age, doesn't that make you a little nervous? If you're anywhere in the region around this guy, that this sexual predator is walking the streets, that this guy who's a multiple rapist is walking the streets, making six, seven figures playing in the NFL, I guess, if he's still playing in the league right now, that doesn't make anybody a little bit nervous. That's not concerning what's going on with our justice system. That this guy had the opportunity to rape multiple women while he's in college and not pay any type of penalty in terms of serious jail time. Well, as, as I mentioned before, when something like this at LSU, I'm guessing every other major university or college or whatever in this country, federal laws, so it's federal Federal laws and LSU's own policies require university officials to take such allegations seriously and report them to the Title IX office for investigation as well as to campus police if the incident occurs on school property. None of those things happen. Darius Geis was allowed to rape not one but two females take a picture of a partially nude female and then share it with people and nothing happened. Do I think he needs to go to prison for what he did as far as the partially nude picture? And no, 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 no. That's for the law, but I, I, don't, I don't think he should be doing hard time. I don't think that he needs to be spending years and years in Angola for that. It's, it's disgusting. It's repulsive. It's vile. It's a black mark and embarrassment on your family. I mean, who's who's raising you? What who's raising you to think that that's cool? To think that's a good idea? What what environment are you coming from to think that's a good idea? So the fact that he raped her friend, raped a uh, raped a female after she passed out drunk at a party—that's disgusting. That's repulsive. 
That's vile. That's sick. That's a felony. That's rape. And I always thought when you rape somebody, you go to prison. And if you do it more than once, then you suspend some serious time in prison. So how is Darius Geis employed as a football player in the National Football League, and how did he not spend any prison time? Well, LSU officials either doubted the women's story or the woman's story, didn't investigate it, didn't call the police, which meant it allowed a sexual predator to continue to play football and walk around the campus in a college community with co-eds around the ages of 18 to 22, 23 years old. <laughs> if you have a daughter, 18 to 22, you think you would have felt safe with her being on the college campus with Darius Geis? If she played sports, I'm quite sure you think that she's very attractive. So you're going to put her in the eye shot of the vision, sight vision of Darius Geis? You're going to, you're going to, your, your daughter's going to go to a party on campus or whatever, and Darius Geis is going to be there? That doesn't make you nervous? That doesn't make you concerned? Okay. I know it does. It's just, I'm just thinking about LSU in this situation where it's kind of like, so because the guy ran for a thousand plus yards for LSU and they were winning football games that you didn't doubt what you thought the woman was just joking. You just thought that what she was trying to entrap the guy. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. It happens. I understand that. But goddamn, you can't investigate. What else are you doing? What else is going on? Innocent until proven guilty in this country. Got it. Understood. But you can't investigate. You can't go through the steps. If you don't want this to become public, there's not a way that you can investigate this without it becoming public. Were you going to fear? Were you fearing that you would get some uh, resistance from the athletic department, mainly Les Miles concerning this? Were you concerned about the backlash that it might get from the community? If this was public and something did happen to Darius, Darius Geis, your main running back, which hampers your team's opportunity to win football games and win championships and compete for the national championship, what's going on here? What's going down? What's going down in Baton Rouge? What's happening in the LSU community? Why wasn't this investigated? I'm not saying the woman says these things happen. You automatically go find a guy and and and, and, and take him, get a rope, and find the nearest tree. I'm not saying that she says this story and all of a sudden you go get Darius guys and you drive them down to the uh, penitentiary and throw them in there to let them rot. I'm not saying those things happen. I don't think none of those things happen. But what you do is you start the investigation. And if you find out those things are true, you don't lynch anybody. You don't, you go ahead and you find out those things are true. Then you take the next steps to make sure that he pays for the penalty that he committed. You don't sweep it under the rug. What's going down at LSU, guys? Talk to me. Talk to me. What's happening? What's your opinion? What's your thoughts and opinions about this? No big deal. There were stories before. There were other accusations of players being naughty and doing this type of thing that turned out not to be true. So they were maybe assuming that this was just another false alarm. It was during the middle of the season. It was the important time. It was near the end of the season. And LSU was in the, was in the race for the SEC championship. It was Alabama week. Tell me what's going on down there. 
Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the USA Today investigated and wrote a story about it in November 2020. What's going on at LSU? What's happening with these student athletes being accused of these heinous crimes, being accused of sexual assault and nothing's being done about it? What in the hell's going on? Well, again, USA Today investigated and wrote a story about it in November 2020. And what the article found was the university's athletic department and broader administration repeatedly ignored complaints against abusers, denied victims' requests for protections, subjected them to further harm by known perpetrators. So basically, they did fucking nothing. Again, let me ask you, because I'm getting a little emotional here. I'm getting a little bit angry here. And LSU, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. But getting back for real, I'm only speaking in terms of, hey man, you're a father. I mean, you're a, you're a, uh, you're, you have a daughter. I mean, what would be your reaction to this? Would you be like, oh, well, I mean, you know, at least LSU is doing well on the football field. I mean, you know, sorry, honey. I mean, next time just don't go, just don't go to the party, you know. Okay, honey, just don't walk around the campus at night. Make sure you walk with multiple people. I mean, you know, just, you, know you gotta, you gotta be careful now, sweetheart. You know, but you know, I'm glad you took one for the team. We, we really can't do anything because, you know, poor Darius, uh, he came from a poor background. Yeah, no, poor Darius. I mean, he is a great football player. You know, Darius, I mean, he, he we're going to need him down the stretch. You know, we're wanting, uh, we want to make a really good bowl game. So, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry it happened to you. It sucks. Believe me. And I still love you. And, I'm not really a big fan of Darius guys in this situation as a human being, but hey, what are you going to do? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to figure out, I don't know. I don't know. I, all I know is that when I hear these stories, I think about my goddaughter, and it's like, if something like this happened to my goddaughter, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd go into a violent rage. <laughs> I would find fucking Darius Geis and I would go into some type of violent rage. I, I, I would. And I'm I'm not a father, but I'm I'm guessing wouldn't that be your first emotion? You have a daughter around the age of this woman who was sexually assaulted. I mean you wouldn't be highly upset. You wouldn't feel vengefulness in your heart. You wouldn't be angry. That's just me, man. That's just me. Take a look at this case right here, speaking about what's happening as far as college athletics. And these big-time programs, these big-time athletic programs, speaking about Les Miles, what he was doing at LSU. Not only himself, but bringing on players, high-profile players or highly recruited players that could help them win football games. Bringing them on campus, despite the fact that uh, they had troubled past, despite the fact that once they got on campus, they committed acts of um, violence toward women, but yet and still... They were allowed to stay on campus, and, and LSU did nothing. And this was all brought up to me, and this was all, again, I'm watching Will Wade. What Will Wade did compared to what was going down in the athletic department with um, the football team is, like, nothing. No wonder the LSU community didn't give a shit about Will Wade cheating his ass off and bribing and paying players to go to uh, LSU to play basketball. Compared to that and what the football team was doing, that's like child's play, man. So... Back to the football team, I talked about Darius Geis, about his multiple rape allegations and nothing was done about them. Then we go to Drake Davis. He was a highly recruited multi-sport athlete from Baton Rouge, so a hometown boy. 
He turned down the offer from Alabama, Ohio State, and other top universities to play wide receiver for the Tigers. Ooh, so you know this guy is going to work. He turned down Nick Saban. At the time, he turned down Urban Meyer to want to play for LSU. So you know we got somebody here. He was described as one of the most athletic players, perhaps, to ever wear an LSU football uniform. Boom! Boom! That's exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. We need a little balance. We're running the football a little bit too much, and we're relying too much on our defense. We get our game-breaking speed wide receiver. That's what I'm talking about. That probably was the thoughts and the feelings and the enthusiasm and the anticipation from the LSU football family, the LSU football fans, when they found out that Drake Davis, right here from the hometown, a hometown guy, Baton Rouge, turned down Nick Saban and Urban Meyer to go to LSU. That had to be the thought. And you guys had to feel fantastic. You guys had to feel euphoric about that happening. Well, in January of 2017, the second semester of his freshman year, Davis began dating an LSU woman's tennis player. Not the one that was assaulted and raped by, allegedly by uh, Darius Geist, but a different one. The relationship between this female tennis player, the LSU female tennis player, and Drake soon turned violent. The woman told uh, police in USA Today, with Davis leaving the woman bruised and bleeding on at least six occasions over the course of just one year. The relationship soon turned violent between this football player after he began dating this LSU women's tennis player, turned violent, Davis leaving the woman bruised or bleeding on at least six occasions over the course of just one year. You're a father. If someone that your daughter was dating left her bruised or bleeding on at least six occasions over the course of one year, what would you do? How would you feel? You have a daughter. What would your emotions be? What would you want done? At the very least, you would say, I want this guy arrested and be put in jail. At the very most, you would say, give me a weapon and give me five minutes in, a, in an empty room with him. At least seven LSU officials had direct knowledge that Davis was physically abusing his girlfriend, and they sat on the information for months while Davis continued to assault and strangle her. Was Davis in the running for the goddamn Heisman Trophy? This guy was so fucking important to your team that even this guy, this guy wasn't, this guy wasn't Odell Beckham Jr. This guy wasn't Justin Jefferson. This guy wasn't Jamar Chase. What's going on here? I never heard of this guy, Drake Davis. So you're letting this guy whoop up on this female, and he's not even an important player on the team that's winning football games. So you can't even do the bare damn minimum. You can't even use the excuse, yeah, you know what, I mean, yeah, he would beat the shit out of this girl, but, you know, he was really important to our team, and we needed him. So if we do something about it, our chances of winning the championship are going to be highly compromised. He wasn't even part of the main success of the team. And you motherfuckers let this guy do this to this poor woman. Are you out of your fucking mind? 
Guys and Davis, uh, let me see, are included in at least nine LSU uh, football players that have been reported to police for sexual misconduct and dating violence since Ed Orgeron took over the team four years ago. So what Les Miles started, Ed Orgeron continued. The details of how LSU handled complaints against the other seven, including two who played key roles in this 2020 national championship team, remain largely secret. No, 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 no. Put that shit out. If they did something, now if they're innocent of these charges, then no. Those names, we don't need to know. Those who accuse these players of doing that, we need to know who they are. But if they're innocent and they're being accused of these things, and these females are lying, then the females need to be exposed who they are. But if it's, if but if there are two key players on this 2020 national championship team that were abusing females, that were committing sexual misconduct and dating violence, we need to we need to know who the fuck they are. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are these guys still on campus? Who are these guys? As a father who had the daughter at the at that college campus, you wouldn't want to know who the fuck they are? I don't want to hear it through the grapevine. I need to know who they are. How many of these guys are walking around? How many players on the LSU football team are sexual predators and are walking around the campus? I need to know that. I need to find that out. Please. The aftermath of the story, Davis pleaded guilty to two assaults Prosecutors dropped the other charges against him in exchange. In exchange for what? What evidence do you need? Here's the pictures of him beating my ass. Or here's the pictures of the aftermath of the beatdown he gave me. What the fuck are you going to try to say? What's going to be his defense? Uh, I fell down the stairs. I got hit in the head with a tennis ball. A uh, hard day of practice. What, what excuse are you going to have? If she's showing you bruises. If she's being battered and bloodied by this piece of shit. What are we talking about here? What evidence do you need? Why do we need to exchange anything? The only thing that the prosecutors need to be exchanging is the fact that, is he going to be going to Angola? How many years is he going to be giving them? That's what they should be exchanging. But dropping charges for the lesser charge? <laughs> LSU has acknowledged formally disciplining two of the nine athletes. Davis and Peter Parrish, a quarterback on the team, they're accused of raping a woman in a car outside a bar earlier in the year. LSU suspended Parrish for one year. How the hell do you suspend somebody who's accused of raping a woman in a car outside of a bar? Well, raping anybody anywhere is just beyond disgusting, but so let's forget the uh, rape, uh, the, you know, where, where the rape occur occurred. The fact that this man raped the woman, how is he not in prison? How is he not in prison? How is he not in prison? Answer that question for me, will you? The university expelled Davis, but not until July 2019, four months after his criminal conviction and 10 months after he had already left school. <laughs> wow. Wow. In a statement, LSU said it does not tolerate sexual violence of any form. Bullshit, man. Get the fuck out of here. We are unaware... We are unwavering in our commitment to respond properly to any reports of misconduct to investigate these reports in a manner that is fair and equitable to support victims of sexual abuse and to protect the privacy of our students according to the law. 
putting an end to sexual assault in an institutional is an is an institutional priority and we are consistently working to achieve that goal how how can you sit there with the evidence that's been shown with the statistics and facts that have been shown and give us that bullshit how how the LSU community is completely out of control. I'm telling you, man, it's completely out of control. And this goes deeper than a dysfunctional, corrupt, morally bankrupt coach or athletic director. This goes farther than Les Miles. This goes farther than Ed Orgeron. This goes farther than Joe Oliva. You know what? This even goes farther than the former LSU president, uh, F. King Alexander, who's now the president of Oregon State. How this shit went on during his tenure there, and he still gets a job at the same position of Oregon State. White privilege! Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, there, there's something that needs to be done at LSU. And again, this goes farther than anybody. This, this is being allowed. The community is allowing this to happen. Seriously. The folks of Baton Rouge you're allowing this to happen. The state of Louisiana, you're allowing this to happen. Because this is some bullshit right here. The fact that how in the hell are you still going to support a football team when you have players on that team who are sexually assaulting women? How are you going to do that? How can you justify that? How can you turn your back on that? How? And it's not the fact that, you know, fool me once, fool me twice, those things happen. You know, I, I take it with a lot of these players coming into the campus, all these players who were being recruited, they weren't serial rapists, okay? It wasn't like, yeah, you know, I've been raping females since I was a ninth grader in high school, so what the hell? And they said, well, what the hell? Okay, so the act of them raping somebody is not what gets my blood boiling. It's the fact that nothing's being done about it. The fact that they're putting sports, athletics, winning money, morals over the safety of women. You allowed a sexual predator on your campus. You were duped. You were bamboozled. You were fooled. Fell through the cracks. Whatever excuse you want to use. Okay. All right. I, I get it. I understand it. But when those situations take place, what the fuck are you doing about it? If you're doing nothing about it, that's on you. And when those things become public and the community still sits there and supports the university, supports the football team, supports the coach who did nothing about it, that's where I have the problem. That's where it's no longer just a Les Miles problem. That's when it's no longer just an Ed Orgeron problem. That's when it's no longer just a Joe Oliva's problem. That's when it becomes a whole fucking community's problem. Because if the community, if the LSU football fans said, no, nah, man, we're not going to have any of that shit. Unless those motherfuckers are facing real justice, i.e. off the team, off the off the campus, off walking the streets. Until that shit happens, no, 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 no. As long as that motherfucker's still playing on that team, no, no, no. Can't support it. Ain't going to do it. Not going to do it. These big-time donors who are sitting there talking about, I'm going to withdraw my financial support if you don't guys have students play a song that was performed at a menstrual show at some universities. I would love for you to have that same type of attitude 
when it came to players who are allowed to play despite raping women. Look how quickly things would change if the big money donors and alumni who contribute financially to the football program, if they say we ain't going to have this and until something like this is eradicated in terms of these guys still playing after they're um, after there's been charges or after there's been evidence of those guys beating up and assaulting and sexually assaulting women until something like that happens until we take care of that problem, you ain't getting a fucking dime. I ain't cutting one fucking check. Watch how quickly that shit happens. And again, I understand there's false accusations all the time. And I understand that on these college campuses, it ain't just a athletic program. Student-athletes aren't the only people on these college campuses running around raping women, sexually assaulting women, battering women. I, I, I get it. I understand it. I get it. I understand it. This is not a situation where the student body is fantastic and wonderful and the only sexual predators or the only criminals or the only people who are on that campus that don't deserve to be on that campus are students or, excuse me, are athletes. I'm not saying that at all. This is a wide-ranging problem. But at least with the football team, at least with the basketball team, at least with the scholarship athletes, at least with these guys under the at least with these guys under the gaze of the NCAA, it should be policed a lot better than it is. And I'm quite sure there's regular student body folks out there. I'm sure that there's regular guys out there who are freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, seniors who are on that campus who are nothing more than students who get away with raping women, the date rape drug. All of those type of things. All of those things I just mentioned in terms of the, of the Drake kid and the Darius Geis kid. I'm quite, quite sure those things happen in a plethora of numbers for the regular student body. So this is not to absolve or to uh, lessen what should happen to those students. Those students should be fucking put in Angola. Those motherfuckers should be put in jail. Those people should be kicked off the uh, or kicked off the campus. Those people shouldn't even be allowed to walk in the fucking streets. Chemistry majors, engineering majors, pre-law majors, business majors, communication majors, liberal arts majors, philosophy majors. Don't give a damn. Do not give a damn. You're going to sexually assault a woman. You're going to have violence upon a woman. Get your fucking ass out of society. Put your ass in a cage or a grave. I don't give a fuck. As long as you're in one of the two, I'll take either. So please don't let my stuff here about what's going on with these student athletes or these athletes on campus, some, some of the things that they do concerning the violence that they have toward them. And please don't uh, construe that I'm only speaking about this being only a athlete problem because it's not. It's a whole lot bigger than that. But this is a sports show. This is a Sports Talk podcast show. I am speaking about what's happening with Les Miles. I am speaking about what's happening with the football program where there are there are things in place for this not to happen. And again, the main reason of why it's not happening or the main reason why this is allowed to go on is because at the expense of, you know, because of, of, of the desire to win football games, or to win basketball games, that's disgusting. If you're a chemistry student, if you're a business major, and you have a 4.0 GPA, and you go out and rape a woman, chances are you're probably going to get kicked out of school. 
No one's going to sit there and say, but he's a 4.0, he's got a 4.0 in business. You know, he's got a 4.0 in intro to, to communications and business in, uh, communications. This guy has the ability to graduate within three years. Honors. This guy has the ability to do this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. This guy, have you seen this guy's uh, writings and his poetry? This guy's unbelievable. Have you heard this guy's music, this music major? This guy can turn out to be another Otis Redding. This guy can turn out to be another... Leonard Skinner's a band, right? All right, I don't know. But this guy can grow up to be... This guy can be the next Garth Brooks. We can't kick him out of school. We can't do that. He's about to drop an album. We can't do that. Shit doesn't happen for a student like that. So why should it be the same for football players? I don't give a damn. I mean, if he, if he has the if he was the football caliber of Joe Burrow, quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, leading LSU to his first national championship, blah blah blah. I don't give a damn if it was a, pl- a player of that stature, of that impact, of that importance. He did anything in terms of committing a felony, a sexual assault, a sexual battery, get him the fuck off campus and go through the judicial system and put that motherfucker in a cage. That's the only thing I'm talking about. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Off the the Georgetown thing, what a nice little couple of segments we've had, huh? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. To mention before, man, just thinking about these stories, it makes reportedly what Will Wade, the basketball coach, did, makes it look uh, no big deal. You remember good old Will Wade, right? March 17th, Yahoo Sports broke a story, included transcripts, wiretaps. It's not he said, she said. This is not who you're going to believe. We have evidence of exactly what happened. Wiretaps. Transcripts of a call between Wade and runner Christian Dawkins, who was found guilty on federal charges of bribery and fraud in two separate trials. That guy. The story included these quotes, including reportedly made by Wade talking about talking to uh, Dawkins about the recruitment of Javon Smart or Javante Smart, who I think is still playing. Had a good game against Alabama. Wade to Dawkins, dude. I went to him with a fucking strong ass offer about a month ago. Fucking strong. The problem was, I know why he didn't want to take it now. It was fucking tilted toward the family a little bit. Jeez. It was tilted toward taking care of his mom, taking care of the kid. Like it was tilted toward that. Now I know for a fact he didn't explain everything to his mom. I know now he didn't get enough of the piece of the pie in the deal. Dawkins responded by saying, mm-hmm. So Will was on a Will was on a roll. He continued by saying, "It was a fucking hell of a fucking offer. It was a, it was an expletive hell of an expletive offer. What do you think that expletive was? It was a fucking hell. It was a shitting hell. It was a goddamn hell. It was a holy hell of a holy hell offer. Holy hell's not an expletive. It was a fucking hell of a fucking offer. I don't know. Hell of an offer. Okay," said Dawkins. Then what Wade said was, especially for a kid who's going to be a two or three year kid. So yeah, so he's talking about, man, I'm I'm paying this guy one and done type money for a couple of years. This guy's up there talking about he wants more. The nerve of this kid. What's wrong with these kids today? Where is the loyalty? Where is the, it's not like when we were kids, huh? Unbelievable. So it's just, 
it's it's really it's really something else, man. LSU just needs to do something. LSU needs to clean up his act, or else LSU just needs to say, "Look, you know what? Screw the NCAA. NCAA, we're all about winning, and this is what we're going to do." And again, if it means having a couple of sexual predators roam the campus while we win football games, so be it. So be it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. That's me. Hello. Bonjour. Bonsoir. Monsieur Mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Namaste, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam, alaikum, ke pasa. Mi amigos, what is going on now? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Still feeling good? Still feeling fantastic. Still got the Georgetown euphoria in me. Fueling me. Giving me my giving me my edge for the topics that I wanted to talk about. I really wanted to talk about. I didn't know exactly when. I've been to Mesquite this past week. So because I've been to Mesquite, yeah, I really hadn't had an opportunity to uh, really sit down and put together something as far as a podcast is concerned. And a lot of times, especially with this whole deal about uh, college campus, violence on college campus, the the uh, ability for these major college campuses with these major college programs, uh, athletic programs to turn the other cheek, to ignore, to look the other way while sexual assault is happening, felonious crimes are happening on campus. The people who are in charge of these young men on scholarship, these student athletes, these Folks who are representing the uh, college, allowing them to be on campus and allowing them to commit felonies, allowing them to commit rapes. And because of their prowess playing sports, because of the importance that they bring to the football team, to the basketball team, to the wrestling team, to the ice hockey team, to the track and field team, whatever is the most popular sport amongst that community. Because they don't want to uh, mess up the opportunity or the chances of them winning to becoming a better program, that they'll look the other way, they'll make excuses, they'll ignore, they won't follow protocol, and because of that, people are getting hurt. Because of that, people, females, are getting assaulted and violence toward women. My my goodness gracious, I I have never gotten my ass whooped, thank goodness, and I'm too old to be right now running around trying to fight people, so... My my fighting days, I'm, I'm trying to think of a better way. You know, when you reach my age, as you know, you, you, you look for another way to resolve a problem other than fighting somebody. 
just just not worth it. Plus, I don't have health insurance, so if I fought the wrong person and really got my ass whooped, I mean, it would just be really bad. So, unless someone really, really tightens my jaws or really, really does something, you have to really work for me to get to the point where I want to physically get in an altercation with you. So, you know, you you, uh, you reach that point in life. So, you know, I've, I've never gotten my ass whooped. I've been in a few fights, but never got my ass whooped. Won some, lost some, but never, like, been, like, beaten down. So I, I can't imagine, when I hear these stories of women who have been physically abused, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, I, I, I can't, I can't fathom, I can't understand, I, 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 that the hell that they must be going through. And you hear of women committing suicide because of the physical, physical abuse and all those type of things. And, and mental abuse is tough too and everything. And if you get a double whammy, that's double ridiculous and hard and everything. But I, I, I can't imagine someone just beating up on me. I can't imagine that. I, I couldn't go through that. I just couldn't. I couldn't go through knowing that I'm going to get black eyes, bloody lips, broken noses, bruises, bleeding. I, I, that's never happened to me for one minute. And it's not because I'm some badass, bad Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole downtown, better than old King Kong, meaner than a junkyard dog. I, I'm not saying that I'm that type of person, but I've just never been in a situation where I've been subjugated to someone consistently beating my ass. So to sit here and to read these stories and to hear these stories about these women who have to go through this, who have to go through that, and not with guys who are, you know, pieces of garbage as far as physically like me. I mean, we're talking about very strong, powerful athletes. And they're being, these women are being subjugated to beat down from, from those. And the community does nothing, the police do nothing, the administration does nothing, the coaches do nothing, the athletic director does nothing. I, I can't I can't fathom that. So that's the main thing. That's the one thing where I'm just reading this and I'm just like, what in the name of fuck is going on? And for a guy who doesn't have a daughter, for a guy who doesn't have children, but they hear what Les Miles was doing when I was reading that the other day, I was like, what the fuck is going on? How the hell can these college coaches, and we know what the answer is, how the hell can these college coaches continually get away with this shit? You know, look, I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm quite sure that Les Miles or people of his stature, I'm, I'm quite that he's the minority. If you take a look at the top, throw out a number, top 15 college football programs in the country, I'm quite sure that the majority of these coaches aren't doing the things that Les, Mil Les Miles is doing. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty safe in saying that. I don't have any evidence. I don't know, but I'm going to go on a limb and say that Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban and Ryan Day and Brian Kelly, those types, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to go on the assumption that those guys aren't doing anything untoward or unprofessional or creepy or or anything like that toward the female uh, co-eds on campus or anything like that. They might be doing something in terms of gaining recruits and making sure that they're happy and making sure that they're eligible. They, they might be doing something nefarious in those situations. Not saying they are, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not... I mean, they might be doing something there if they're doing anything wrong. But as far as what Les Miles was doing, no. And I'm hoping that... Jeez. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that if 
someone the stature of Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban or one of those guys were doing something like that, that hopefully the administration would be like, look, man, you, you, you got to go. 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 And if Nick Saban knew that he was recruiting players that would have the potential to harm females, that, that, that hopefully that he would do something at the very least say, you're off the, you're off the campus, you're off the team, you're off the, you're out of the school period. And we'll just say that you violated team rules and we'll move on or something like that. But uh, too many times, these coaches are just like, no, we're good. We're fine. And you know, another point that I was thinking about, I was like, man, you know, I never thought about that. I want to see if you think about the same way. Interesting dynamic about these situations. Sometimes, not all the times, but a good number of times, maybe a small majority of the times, we're speaking about, I don't even know it's a majority, but let's let's think about this. If you're a black football player of any stature, playing for a major college football program with a rabid, passionate, devoted fan base in a community like Austin, Texas, or Baton Rouge, Tuscaloosa, Norman, Oklahoma, Stillwater, Gainesville, Clemson, Tallahassee, one of them college towns, right? You know, I think if you're a black football player of any stature playing for their football team or playing for the basketball team, you, you could be treated better than any of the quote-unquote normal black students or citizens there, as well as the majority of white students and citizens there. You, you realize that in the history that's been devoted or the history that's been told for centuries and decades concerning some of the uh, problems concerning folks from my community and places like uh, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Northern Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, all, all of them places that's had their fair share of, uh, shall we say, uh, fair unequalness when it comes to the uh, black community. It's amazing, and maybe not amazing, but it's amazing how if you're a black student athlete with a lot of prominence, with a lot of potential in terms of helping out the uh, football team, which in turn would help out the community, which in turn would help you feel better about who you are. I mean, people who are of that ilk, that if they're going to uh, be criminals, if they're going to be no goodwinks, if they're going to be people who belong in cages or graves, that the one group of people who are going to be making sure that they get away with it, if it helps them win football games or it helps their school, when sporting events, it's going to be the white folks in that community. And, you know, we as black folks, and rightfully so, you know, we kind of glance at the slide eye. We kind of have our, you know, our, 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 our fists and our defenses up when it comes to uh, some of the white folks or the, the, the white communities of those areas. Because we know the history of how black folks are treated in Alabama, in Mississippi, in Louisiana in Kansas, in parts of Texas, in Florida. We, we, we know South Carolina. We, we know kind of like the history. So it, it's interesting that despite that, and despite that those states still have, in terms of race relations today, their, their ignorance, their uh, unwillingness to be educated on such issues concerning our community. That yet and still, they'll sit there and they'll bend over backwards 
for the uh, star football player for State U as long as they're winning football games for him. And if that means sexually assaulting a white woman and having him get away with it, those communities have shown that they're like, you know what, we're fine, we're good, we'll be able to handle that. Nothing to worry here. And it's it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. Because it's almost like, again, the, the, the black players on that team, they have more rights and abilities or they have a better opportunity to get away with committing felonies than the average white citizen does. If an average white kid on campus does some of the things that I just mentioned some of these football players are doing, chances are they have a much better chance of them getting kicked out of school or being prosecuted by the law than the star black football player or the star black uh, athlete at that university in a community which uh, is kind of behind the times and kind of not really caught up with what the black community is asking for, what we're demanding and what we will not uh, retreat from in terms of our demands to have equality, unity and togetherness and an equal opportunity to do what everybody else is doing in this country. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. What my community believe, believes as truth when it comes to discrimination, to oppression, unfair and unequal towards, you know, and, uh, towards us with enough, enough examples to justify those feelings. Most of the time, not all of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, it doesn't apply to a high profile athlete, a beloved, successful black college football player playing for a powerful elite football program. Hell, Aaron Hernandez was allowed to sit around and murder people. And they're like, yeah, we're fine. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. We're good. I mean, the football program, the Florida administration, the the town of uh, Gainesville, you know, home of uh, such luminaries as Danny Rollins. Remember what that worthless piece of shit did? I mean, Aaron Hernandez is only maybe half a level up from what Danny Rollins Rollins was. And if you don't, don't know who Danny Rollins is, you uh, Wikipedia him. But Aaron Hernandez was uh, uh, was a was a complete and utter uncaged, unhinged animal. A wild beast roaming the streets of uh, Gainesville. And because he caught touchdown passes and he hung up with Tim Tebow, everybody was like, yeah, that's fine. That's great. No problem. Just let us keep winning championships. He's only going to be here for three years. We're good. And if he kills a couple of people, so be it. As long as we beat Alabama, we're good. So it's uh, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. And... Again, you, you see these locations, you see these communities where it's happening. And it's like these college towns in these parts of the country, these regions of the country. And it's like, look, man, when you're speaking about Alabama, they don't got a professional football or basketball or baseball team. When you're speaking about northern Florida, I mean, you got what the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that's about it. Most of the professional teams are down south. If you're speaking about the Marlins and the Heat and the Dolphins and the Buccaneers and uh, and, and those squads, you know Mississippi doesn't have a professional uh, sports team. Uh, sports team. Louisiana, you have the New Orleans Saints, you have the New Orleans Pelicans, but outside of the Saints, what's the second most important thing? The LSU football program. And that's in Baton Rouge. I don't know how many miles it is from 
New Orleans, but it's enough. Yeah, Georgia, you have, you know, you have Atlanta where you have the Hawks and the Falcons and the Braves. You used to have a hockey team down there. But for the most part, you know, Athens, while not incredibly far from Atlanta, is still a college town in an environment and community in its own. You go very quickly from, I mean, you speak to anybody from, who's black from Atlanta, you go, yeah, you know, you go very quickly from Black Atlanta to, uh, you know, what's going on there, boy, type of Georgia very quickly. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to go very far. Just like in Maryland, we got, you know, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, the Washington metropolitan area. You know, you don't have to drive hundreds of miles before you get to, uh, before you get to uh, Alabama, like with better crabs. So, it's you, you allow this shit to happen when you get with these college campuses in terms of the, the better the chances of these things going forward. Look, I mean, it, you take D.C., for instance. We got the University of Maryland. We have Georgetown, Maryland, football, you know, state school, big school, football, basketball, this, that, and the other. Georgetown, small Jesuit school, um, um you know, high education, private school. Shit ain't going to be happening down at Georgetown. For the basketball team, Georgetown players aren't going to be allowed to run around and start raping people and their community's going to be like, yeah, that's fine. No big deal. That's cool. We're good. We saved that bullshit for the pro teams. For the small town communities, they lend that bullshit to the college athletes. And the major... In the major cities, in the major towns, in the New Yorks, and the Chicagos, and the DCs, and the LAs, and the and the Miamis, that uh, privilege is given to the professional uh, uh, athletes down there for them to run amok and do the shit that they do. So it's interesting. It's really interesting in that regard. And you take a look. I mean, you know, Jerry Sandusky. What happened to him at Penn State? where he faced charges related to allegations that he sexually abused young boys in the 1990s and 2000s, most of whom he met through the Second Mile, the charity he founded in 1977. In 2012 of June, he was found guilty on 45 counts of child abuse, sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison, where hopefully he's getting gang-raped in, in, in every single day of his life. He deserves it. Joe Paterno know about it. According to a report by uh, Charles Thompson in 2016 of Penn Lives, Joe Paterno was told about the abuse as early as 1976. Did nothing about it. You still have people up there in Happy Valley talking about, well, Joe's still the man. Penn State wouldn't be Penn State without him. Urban Meyer. Remember Urban? Now the coach of the um, Jacksonville Jaguars. When he was coaching at Ohio State, we already knew about how he let. You're talking about, you know, letting the uh, inmates run the asylum. Urban Meyer, good, goodness gracious, especially the last couple of years of his tenure at the University of Florida, the type of criminal and thugs and no good winks he had running around Gainesville. Man, it was just ridiculous. And also, did I mention he was the coach when Aaron Hernandez was doing his thing? And he knew what a uh, danger to society Aaron Hernandez was. Now, to be kind to Urban and to give defense to Urban, I don't think that he was sitting around talking about, well, you know, he might be killing people, but hey, that's fine. But still, I mean, Urban knew that, man, this, this this kid is fucking out of control. And this guy's got some fucking issues. So instead of being like, hey, man, you know, either straighten up, get some help. I'll help you get some help. Or we need to do something 
but make sure that this kid is not, you know, a, a danger to civilized society. He was like, well, as long as he shows up on Saturday and he shows up for practice and he catches uh, touchdown passes and he blocks and he does what we need to do, well, we'll look the other way. You know, so, so, so that was Urban at the University of Florida. Well, remember him in Ohio State when he knew of a 2015 allegation of domestic violence against um, the Courtney Smith, who was the ex-husband of former Ohio State assistant coach Zach Smith. The fact that Courtney Smith, the one who was getting his, her ass whooped by this guy, told Urban's uh, wife, Shelly, about what was going on. And then, you know, the excuse that Urban Meyer gave and, and, and his wife gave was, well, you know, we don't talk about those type of things. Really? You have a guy on your fucking staff up there beating up his wife and it's kind of like, eh, hey, you know what? None of my business. Jeez. Hey, uh, honey, um, you're married, right? You never said, hey, honey, um, you know, I see that you still have this guy employed here. His wife came up and talked to me and she mentioned that, well, for years he's been whooping her ass. You might want to take a look into that. I mean, jeez. So, I don't know. Larry Nassar's relationship at Michigan State. Mm. Again, it's all about the money. And again, I wonder, as I close this, um, as I close, give, my, give you my final thoughts on this topic that we've been discussing about now for a little bit on this podcast. I, again, want to reiterate that people committing sexual assaults on campus are not only athletes, all right? High-profile athletes are more of a target for accusation than any other student on campus. Okay, a female is not going to go ahead and make an accusation. I shouldn't say that. Most of the time, compared to a, a big-time collegiate athlete, a female student is not going to uh, go to the police and say, yeah, the guy who's in my freshman studies class, he raped me when he really didn't. I mean, accusations of rape and that type of things, most of the time, I know it happens, but most of the time, if a female is going to do that, make a false accusation about her being raped, most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, is going to be toward a high-profile athlete, or is going to be someone on a on a, a sports team for the university. It's not just going to be some 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 random Joe who was uh, going to school there. That's, that's in her intro to communication studies classes. So you know, and, and just to bring up an, uh, some examples, in 2017, two Sacred Heart Sacred Hearts in Connecticut football players were kicked off the team after being accused of rape. Right. Right, and I'm up here talking about throw them in the cage, throw them in the jail, diddle doo, diddle dee, diddle get them off campus. Diddle-a-doo. Well, one year later, the accuser confessed that she had been lying. So I know people are, I know you've been listening to me, and you look at me and say, "Well, what about that, Wendell?" All right, you're, you're up there talking about throw them in the cage, throw them in the grave. These guys are no good. They're horrible. They're this, that, and the other. What about that? What about those who have been falsely accused? I say again, go through the process. Go through the process. Again, I'm not saying as soon as someone says that someone raped me that they should automatically get this guy and ruin his life. What I am saying is once that information is given, 
that they need to do an investigation. They need to find out if this is true. They need to take their time. They need to do their due diligence. And I'm hoping that the two players that were uh, accused of this rape, hopefully they're suing somebody. And hopefully the female that accused these guys of uh, raping her, hopefully she's in prison for a few years. In December 2017, Oklahoma star running back Rodney Rodney Arison, Anderson, excuse me, was accused of rape before being found innocent and charges were not warranted under the circumstances. I want to know who the accuser is. No, 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 no. If the woman is lying, if the woman was raped, of course, keep her name, keep, you know, keep that private, keep that secret, of course. But if the woman is accusing men of raping her, or if she's accusing somebody of rape and they didn't, I need to know who that female, well, I don't need to know, but it should be the female who makes those accusations should be known because that should be something to where she should be arrested and put in prison. That's a fucking serious crime. To be talking about someone and rape me? That's serious, man. That's super serious. That's unbelievably serious. I mean, for me, rape is right up there with murder, child molestation, I mean, rape is about as you know about as bad as you can get. So if someone's going to be accused of rape, and you're just lying for some reason to get money, or because you're angry, or vengeance, or whatever, no, no, that that needs to be something where you you need to have the thought process of if I'm going to accuse this guy of rape, I want to make sure I dot every I and cross every T of this lie because if I'm found out, then I'm screwed. I'm definitely screwed. I'm royally screwed. I'm like decades of screwed, screwed. I mean, that should be part of your permanent, permanent deal right there. You know what I'm talking about? Just right, right, you know, just as far as, you know what, right there with your social security. When you go in for a job interview and when you go out to fill an application or whatever and they ask for, you know, the last four of your social and the first day of work you come in and you need to show two forms of ID, whether it be your driver's license or something like that, somebody, your employer, uh, someone renting you a house, somebody checking your background information or something, there needs to be something to where if they put in your driver's license number or they go in and take a look to see, you know, your information information or this, that, and the other, that needs to be sitting right there. Bloop. Accuse somebody of rape and blah, 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 this, that, and the other. That that, that, that needs to be shown. Uh, we need to know that. So, yeah, in, in that case, I understand. Look, two Tennessee football players were found not guilty three and a half years after being accused of rape. I understand that it happens all the time. But, again, just because those things happen all the time, we should not ignore when a female says, I've been raped, especially... If they're ignoring the request by the student to look into this rape, they're not doing it because the person who is being, or the person who allegedly did the rape is someone of importance on a athletic squad at the university. That, that shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be doing it. So the majority of college campuses, athletics, athletes who are the most visible and important people that can help promote change and move society in a positive direction concerning this. Hey man, we need to start kind of like coming together. You know, it's almost like police, right? 
I mean, we our perception of the police in my community, and rightfully so, is you don't trust them because of the numerous examples given by the police for uh, not for us to trust them. And I'm not going to sit here with a broad brush and say every police officer is horrible and is a domestic terrorist and all those type of things. I'm not saying that at all. I've never said that. The institution, there's some police officers who are domestic terrorists, and there's some police officers who are peace officers. I just don't know which one. When you get when you come up to a police, there's no like uh, uniform that says domestic terrorist. There's no like, oh, he's wearing a blue uniform. That must mean he's a peace officer. And if he's wearing a red um, or if he's wearing a, another color uniform, that must mean he's a domestic terrorist and looking to violate my, my civil rights. We, we don't have that. When you get pulled over by the police by, by a, uh, for a speeding ticket, I don't know what I'm getting. Am I getting a peace officer? Or am I getting a domestic terrorist? Am I getting someone who's had a bad day? I don't know. But there's been ample examples to show that because of the color of my skin, I'm getting some. I'm going to be dealing with someone who is not going to be uh, treating me very well, and all I can do is just hope and pray that I don't run into one of those types, or I hope and pray that I, if I need somebody, as far as a peace officer is concerned, I don't get a domestic terrorist. So, because there are some good police officers that we we need to get with them and figure out what we need to do to um, deal with police brutality. Same thing in these major college campuses. Not every coach is a Les Miles. Not every coach is an Art Bryles. Not every coach is a Dave Bliss. Not every coach is an Urban Meyer. Not every coach is someone of that, uh, of that character, of that quality, of that selfishness, of that egoness. But what we need to do is we need to get the rest of the coaches what we need to do is to get the rest of the athletic directors, what the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 and the ACC and the Big East and the American Conference and the MAC and the MEAC and the SWAC and all of these other conferences, they need to get together and figure out a way to get a system, a deal, an understanding, whatever, that the shit that's happening right now concerning the athletes on these college campuses cannot, cannot cannot continue. So step off the Frankfurter. Yo, Fife, you remember that routine that we used to make spiffy like Mr. Clean? Um, um, a tidbit, um, a smidgen. I don't get the message, so you got to <laughs> okay. run the pigeon. Your own point, Fife. All the time, tip. Your own point, Fife. All the time, tip. Your own point, Fife. All the time, tip. But then grab the microphone and let your words rip. Now here's a funky introduction of how nice I am. Tell your mother, tell your father, send a telegram. I'm like Windows World in Sports. You see, I last long. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the program. Going to be ending the show today, not with something from Otis Redding, not with something from Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. I just stopped saying Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. They're the Four Tops. So no uh, closing music from the Four Tops. 
the closing music from Otis Redding, no closing mu music from Diana Ross, no closing music from the legends. Today, to end the program, I am going to be giving a special dedication, the only way I know how, to my Georgetown Hoyas, the team I'm so proud of, the team that till death do us part, the team from the northwest side of Washington, D.C., off of N Street, the team that produced Patrick Ewing, the team that produced Sleepy Floyd, the team that produced John Bay Bay Duran, the team that produced Eric Sleepy Floyd, the team that produced Billy Martin, the team that produced Ralph Broadnax, the team, Horace Broadnax, excuse me, the team that produced Jonathan Edwards, the team that produced Robert Churchwell, the team that produced Booba Kaal, the team that produced Victor Page, the team, okay, I should have stopped at Victor Page, before Victor Page, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, that's my team. Love my team to death. You can go find me, the biggest Alabama football fan in Alabama. Find me the biggest stereotype Alabama football fan that you can find. Or the biggest LSU football fan you can find. Or the stereotypical Clemson football fan you can find. Or the stereotypical Kentucky basketball fan that you can find. Or the stereotypical Indiana Hoosier basketball fan that you can find find me any of those guys and i will match their passion their desire their devotion and their love with my georgetown hoyas now i'm not gonna go nutty i mean okay so maybe i'm not as passionate as those guys but what i'm saying is that as much as those guys love their football team that's how much i love my georgetown hoyas basketball team i am the i am the i sure know one thing right now Patrick Ewan's got that job for Georgetown. He's going to lead them boys. He's going to lead them guys to the Final Four. Let me tell you something right now. Georgetown is number one. They are number one today. They're going to be number one tomorrow. They're going to be number one. I'm telling you. Roll your Hold your sacks right now. Isn't that, isn't that how they do it with uh, Alabama? With the, roll tide right now. I know one thing, Nick Saban, Nick Saban is the greatest human being who ever walked the face of the earth right next to Paul Bear Bryant. I tell you right now, Nick Saban is the greatest coach in football history. In fact, I'm going to say Nick Saban is the greatest, is the greatest coach. He's the greatest coach of all of them. He's better than Barbara Bryant. He's better than the Arab Parsegian. He is better than Woody Hayes. He's better than all them boys. He's better than all of them guys right now. This is Bama's day. This is Bama's day. <laughs> you know, I suggest everybody do that once a week. Go full-blown, stereotypical Southern person. You know, even if you're down South, even if you already talk with a Southern accent, go full-blown. You'll feel much better when you're done. The mind will be cleared. Your nostrils will flare. The phlegm will be released. And you'll just have a euphoria about you, which lasts about 15 seconds the mind will be clear. It's it's really an amazing thing. Maybe I should do that in class. Okay, guys. Hello, my name is Mr. Wallace. I'm substituting today. Let me go ahead and take roll and explain what uh, the teacher wants you to do. Let me go ahead and take roll. Uh, Javon Smith and Ten. Javon, is Javon here? All right. What Mr. Smith wants you guys to do? He wants you to open up your Chromebooks. He wants you to go over the canvas. And he wants y'all to do the assignment that he has in Canvas. Now, one thing right now, it's not due today. It's going to be due by the end. Of the, it's going to be due by the end of the week. But I want y'all to know right now, there's going to be no fooling around. Y'all can't leave the meat just yet. 
Y'all have to stay on the meat, but please remember, y'all guys are not on any type of mocks. You guys don't own any type of camera. So uh, if y'all need to be asking questions, go ahead to the chat room and I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. Oh, I feel so much better now. Oh, it feels great. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yes, I am actually an adult. My name is Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. I'm going to... um, I'm going to end the podcast first by recognizing a couple of days ago. Do you realize that what March 11th was all about? I know I talked before about the day that Georgetown won the Big East Conference Tournament yesterday was the 49th anniversary of John Thompson being named the coach of Georgetown. But do you remember March 11th? I guess we're always going to remember March 11th, right? I mean, we don't forget 9-11 in this country, correct? I know people who are listening in other countries to this podcast, I know there's some dates, historical dates that uh, you don't forget because of the significance that it had. But uh, this is a worldwide thing, but at least for us, the shit hit the fan, or at least for me, one year anniversary, one year anniversary a few days ago of when this world shut down, where this country shut down. And it started with the NBA announcement the suspension of the Utah Jazz's game because Rudy Gobert had come down with the uh, COVID. And it was like a situation where the NBA officially announced that uh, it was uh, postponing the season. And that started to change the world forever. I mean, you take a look at your child right now. You take a look at your unborn child right now. You take a look at the possibility of having children later on in life. I mean, it's like monumental dates. Society changing dates, historical dates. March 11th, 2020 was one of them. And uh, changed forever. The world was changed forever on that day. And as I mentioned before, I, 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 I didn't take it seriously. I really didn't. When things were starting to build, I wasn't ignorant to the fact that it's a hoax. It's something that the Democrats are putting to, down to scare us and everything like that. I, I knew that there was a virus. I knew that the possibility of things shutting down could happen. But I was kind of like, ah, you know, I, I, I don't think so. I wasn't into the mask wearing. I wasn't into the um, social distancing. You know, when January and February leading up to uh, March 11th, I wasn't into it. I was aware of it, cognizant of it, but really wasn't respecting it to the way that it would it would bring such a change to our society. So when March 11th happened and the NBA shut down, I was shocked. I was like, y'all are shutting down because of coronavirus? And I heard, look, you know, this might be a possibility and everything. But I was always like, no, no, no. No fans in the stadiums, no fans in the arenas and leagues being shut down. Nah, man, that can't happen. And then out here in Vegas, they're talking, they were talking about the possibility of the strip being shut down? No. Casinos closing? No. Impossible. Impossible. Man, you know them guys aren't going to be giving up. Them guys and gals who are um, the big wigs of these casinos. Man, Vegas, that's tourism right there, man. That's how we That's how we roll. That's how we operate. Without the strip, we're, we're, we're screwed. I mean, without the strip, we're... Um, we're, we're not even lawful. Without the strip, we're a bigger version of um, needles. Without the strip, we're 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 pseudo Flint or Detroit, a smaller version of Detroit. 
without the uh, strip. That's our main industry. We don't have any Fortune 500 companies out here. We have the strip and we have hotels and casinos. That's it. So when they were speaking about it might happen, it might happen, I was just like, there's just no way. The city wouldn't be able to uh, recover for years if that happened. Well, March 11th, reality hit of 2020. And then the next, the next day after that, the NCAA tournament announced that the... Uh, the NCAA announced that the tournament would be canceled because of the virus, and you had the ACC and the Big East and others canceling the rest of their um, tournament, their conference tournaments. And I didn't care. Georgetown had just lost to uh, St. John's, gave up like uh, gave up the last fifty points of the game, and I was like, "Season's over. I don't give a fuck." <laughs> you know, Georgetown uh, lost six games in a row. So to me, the season was over. I didn't care if you played the tournament or not. I wasn't going to be watching. I wasn't going to be caring. When Georgetown's not in the tournament, I could give a rat's ass. And well, for the last five or six years, I really didn't give a rat's ass because Georgetown wasn't in the tournament. Or they were in the tournament and they would get embarrassed by Steph Curry and Davison or Andy Enfield in, in um, Florida Gulf Coast or some shit like that. And it would be like, damn, you know what? I would rather have us not made the tournament at all if we were going to go out like that, losing to, uh, whoo, losing to Ohio. It was a couple of uh, instances there where it was kind of like, man, really, we're going to lose to them, folks. We're going to lose in the first round. We're the third seed, getting blown out by Shaka Smart when he was at VCU. I was like, really, have no interest. Really, don't like college basketball right now. Really, don't want to have anything to do with college basketball right now. So. You know, for me, the announcement that the NCAA tournament was going to be canceled didn't bother me at all. I didn't care. But, uh, so that didn't have that profound effect like, ooh, this virus, this, that, and the other. It didn't really hit me. Didn't really hit until Clark County closed down. Because I remember that Friday, I was up in Mesquite, and I had a couple of more dates up there for the rest of the month. And I was doing well. The teacher that was in that class, he was going to be leaving. So he was already, you know, one foot out the door. And he was going to try to use up all of his uh, PTO. Uh, so, you know, he can move. He was moving to Arizona. So he needed to move to uh, get his moving things together. And he was planning to leave Mesquite and, you know, go move in with his girlfriend. So he was like, hey, man, I'm already out the door mentally. I'm checked out. So. You know, I'm going to use up all my PTO time. I got a lot of PTO time, so I'm going to need a whole lot of substituting, and you're going to be my guy to substitute my classes. So I was um, I was dancing on the ceiling. I was dancing in the streets like Martha and the Vandellas because all of that extra money, tax-free money, I was going to be getting to be at Mesquite, be at the uh, high school for the rest of the year. So I was uh, I was one guy when even the hint Sisolak and Jara were sitting there talking about we might have to close the school because of the virus. I was the one guy as when he, they started talking about that, I was like, la, 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 I can't hear you, la, 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 because I was like, no, no, I've got so much money coming in, you know, from the beginning of March till the beginning of May. No, 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 don't do this. And I remember that Friday there was a situation where we got an email saying that, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're going to be back in school Monday, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. Because they announced that the spring semesters, these spring sports were canceled 
They weren't going to be playing. They weren't going to be practicing. We were like, well, we're still in school. Why in the hell would they make that decision about the spring sports being shut down? Doesn't make any sense. We're going to be in school for the rest of the school year. Again, we were disrespecting the impact that the virus would have. So leaving Mesquite that Friday, I was like, hopefully I'll see y'all on Monday. Because leading up to it, you know, you have parents up there talking about, well, I don't want my kid going to school if he's going to catch a virus and this is nonsense. And we should be closing the school and we're in the last school district or one of the last school districts to be closing our school. And what's Jara doing and what's Sisalak is doing? I can't believe this. This is bullshit. This is nonsense. And I was like, they wouldn't close the school over a couple of parents complaining about the schools not being closed, are they? No, there's no fuck. I was in denial. I was in denial. But um, that Friday I got home, and then that Sunday, as I was packing for the week to be in Mesquite, because I think I was going to be up there another three or four days, which was cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. They got the news. News came up. Got the email. School's going to be closed. They'll revisit the situation after spring break, which was about four weeks later. (laughs) It was like, life, you suck. And that's when I got religion. That's when I got educated. That's when I knew how uh, devastating the coronavirus was. And uh changed my life, man. Changed my life. It's going to be interesting because I, I, I still don't know what the end game is. Because, yeah, they got the vaccines and all. I haven't taken a vaccine yet. I don't know. I'm waiting for the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one where you only take one shot and the... Um, symptoms are less no headaches or something like that i don't know i'm still trying to educate myself on it but um i don't know what the end game is going to be like you take a look at um you know for schools i i don't know what what are we going to do because right now we're back in school some schools uh you know some uh great levels are back in school and uh superintendent jara is talking about the uh, beginning of april after spring break that Schools are going to be back to normal. What what does that mean, being back to normal? God knows it ain't going to be back to normal like it was before the we closed down the first time. I know that's not going to be happening. So what exactly are we going to be doing? Because right now you can still teach from home. You can still teach from a remote, but also you there's schools where uh, you can teach in the classroom, and with students coming back. They're going to be like, you know, half the students come Monday, Tuesday. The other half comes Thursday and Friday. And Wednesday is going to be a day where they just clean the schools or some shit like that. So I'm thinking to myself, well, what's exactly going to be happening moving forward? Is next semester, which will be August 12th, uh, is it going to be back to normal to where the kids are going to be back in school like it was before? What about the parents who aren't going to be having their kids get the vaccine? What about the parents who aren't going to allow their kids to go back to school because of uh, the situation, what's going to be happening then? I, I don't know. I'm glad I'm not the superintendent. I'm glad I'm not the governor. But all of these things are going to be interesting to find out. And that's just for my profession. What's it going to be coming up for the uh, NFL season? What's it going to be like for Major League Baseball that's going to be starting in a few months? What's going to be happening in the next season for the NBA and college basketball? We're all on the assumption, I think, that everything's going to be back to normal. Well, what's back to normal? What is back to normal? Are we ever going to return to quote unquote back to normal? Because back to normal is not going to be normal. It's not going to be the same. 
So are we going to be speaking about concert venues and movie theaters and spas and, you know, at, at LBAC, the Whirlpool and Sauna and Steam Bath, they're still not open. So what what's up with that? They just now opened up the lockers. Maybe once I get my lazy fat ass to the gym to try to lose about 20 or 30 pounds, I can get back into the swing of things and find out some other things in terms of do we still have to wear a mask and can we swim in the pool and all those type of things. But the gym that I go to, allegedly, is starting to lift some restrictions. So what's going to be happening in three months? What's going to be happening in four months? What's going to be happening in six months? What's going to be happening with the world? What's going to be happening with businesses? What's going to be happening with um, telemarketer, telemarketing um, businesses in places where they do business over the phone at call centers and something? Are they going to return or are you going to be having the option to uh, do your work from home? What's going to be the situation with that? So I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, because again, we're all on the assumption, getting back to sports, that there's going to be, there's going to be people in the stands, there's going to be people in the arenas, but what are we talking about here? How much? There's no way, right? I mean, right now, it's March, the football season starts in around six months, what is that going to entail? 50% capacity? 70% capacity? Are we still going to have to wear masks? Are we still going to socially uh, do social distancing? I mean, what what is it going to be like? What are the franchises going to do? I mean, are you going to have to uh, have the option to, uh, you know, sanitize, hand sanitizers or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking and speaking out loud. But uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end the last portion, last part of the program with this. Rest in peace to the great Marvin Hagler, one of the greatest fighters of his generation and the greatest middleweight champion of all time. You can talk about Bernard Hawkins and Stanley Ketchell and Jake LaMotta, but in terms of dominance is concerned, in terms of longevity of being the champion is concerned, the fact that Hagler in the middleweight division went over a decade without losing his title defenses, in terms of accomplishments, you could say that Marvin Hagler was the greatest middleweight champion of all time. And hey, look, you know what? Guys like Ezra Charles, guys like Sugar Ray Robinson, all of these guys, these guys had a cup of coffee. These guys were uh, great in other divisions. Sugar Ray Robinson, he made his bones, he made his reputation as the greatest pound-for-pound fighter of all time at the welterweight division, not the middleweight division. Ezra Charles was a guy who could have been one of the greatest, if not the greatest middleweight of all time, but because of the competition and because of the amount of pay that he could get, he moved up first to light heavyweight and then fought for the heavyweight championship, which he won in 1951. Uh, defeating a then on his comeback trail, Joe Lewis, before losing it a couple of times to Jersey Joe Walcott and then to Rocky Marciano. But in terms of just a pure middleweight is concerned, if you want to be taking a look and speaking about the greatest, my argument would be it would be Marvin Hagler. So uh, Saturday he passed away, which was first reported by TMZ, one of Hagler's son, James said his father was taken to the hospital in New Hampshire earlier on Saturday after experiencing trouble breathing and chest pains at home. About four hours later, 
His family was notified that he passed away. The cause of death is still unknown at this point. As I'm reporting this, as I'm recording this, it's also unclear if Hagler's death was COVID related. He was 66 years old and survived by his current wife and five children from a pre previous marriage. Man, that sucks, man. Hagler fought 67 times over 14 years as a pro, uh, finished 62-3-2 and two with 52 knockouts, as I mentioned before. He made 12 defenses of his undisputed middleweight title, which he held from 1980 to 1987. If you remember, he won that fight. He won the title. I think he beat Alan Minter in England. And after, after beat the shit out of him for 15 rounds. And afterwards, when he won the title, the English crowd started throwing bottles in debris into the ring to where Hagler's handlers had to cover him, smother him, and then kind of, you know, whisk him away from, you know, the bottles and the cans and the debris and the trash that was being thrown at him. And one of his draws, he lost a veto. I think he drew with Vito Antifermo. And in the rematch, definitely, it was one of those deals. With the, the, the fight with Antifermo was a draw. And it was clearly a situation where Hagler won. But I think that he was fighting on Antifermo's uh, home, home uh, turf. So the second time they fought, again, Hagler beat the living shit out of him to the point where, yeah, you ain't going to rob me this time. So, look, he fought the biggest stages against the biggest names, fought Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns during, I guess you could say, the golden age of boxing in the 1980s. Everybody talks about, you know, this and the three. Those are the three guys, Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Hagler, and the thing was, look, you had Mike Tyson mixed into there. Julio Cesar Chavez was out there doing a thing. You got to remember, after the fight against Tommy Hearns in 1983, Sugar Ray Leonard retired for four years. So if you're speaking about the golden age of boxing in the 80s, um, you know, for four or five years in the decade, Sugar Ray Leonard wasn't around. Roberto Duran had to make a comeback after the No Mas fight. He was persona non grata. He was radioactive after he quit against Sugar Ray Leonard in the rematch, blaming that he had cramps. So, you know, Duran was down on the public perception scale for a while. And Marvin Hagler fought in, you know, virtual, uh, you know, silence, virtual secrecy. Um, really didn't get the attention, really didn't get the uh, promotion that he deserved. One of the reasons why he changed his name to Marvelous Marvin Hagler was to let people know how great he was because he felt he wasn't getting enough love in the press. So when they talk about the golden age of fighting and they bring up Duran, Hagler, and Leonard, um, they weren't saying that at the, they weren't saying it during that time, you know, hindsight on that one, because Har Marvin Hagler didn't become the Marvin Hagler that we all know that the, just the casual boxing fan or the sports fan. No, that Marvin Hagler didn't become famous this and the other until he fought Tommy Hearns back in, I believe, 1985. And he had already been the middleweight champion for five or six years. So this wasn't something to where, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, we knew who Sugar Ray Leonard was. This was a guy who was the um, gold medal winner in the 1976 Olympics in Montreal. And this was a guy who I believe in very early in his career, um, took the took the belt from Wilfredo Gomez, 
and a really good fight to become the champion. Here was a guy who was on commercials. Here was a guy, as I mentioned before, that was on ABC Wild World, Wide World of Sports. Here was a guy whose fights were being commentated by Howard Cosell. Sugar Ray Leonard was a household name even before he became a pro. Now, again, his fighting career was cut short after he suffered a detached retina and the super fight he had against Thomas Hearns, who is one of the fighters that kind of gets not mentioned when we're speaking about the golden age of boxing, Duran, Hagler, Leonard. Well, guess what? I mean, I thought the fight with Leonard was stopped prematurely, but going into that 14th round, Hearns was beating Leonard. We knew what, if you, if you want to see a one-punch knockout, go watch Thomas Hearns versus Roberto Duran and that overhand right he delivered on Roberto Duran. I believe it was the second or third round. That Duran was out before he hit the ground. And Duran, you could kick that guy. You, you could have him get kicked in the face by a mule and Duran would be standing there. But that boom, boom, bam! That uh, Thomas Hearns hit him with the two jabs to set up that right hand. Knocked, he was he was out the minute that that uh, punch hit him in the jaw. So Thomas Hearns was another underrated fighter that most people really didn't pay too much attention to, to until after the fact. But man, Hagler was great. And we all know about the greatest round in championship history. If you remember the fight between Thomas Hearns and Marvin Hagler, it's on YouTube. I suggest for those who don't remember, those who weren't around, go watch that fight. The most brutal, action-packed three minutes of championship boxing I've ever seen. And I've seen some great fights, man. I, I, I've seen Ken Norton fight um, Larry Holmes. And you're talking about a 15th round that was the greatest, one of the greatest rounds in fighting history. That was, uh, I wasn't, you know, that, that was Larry Holmes and Ken Norton round 15 for Holmes to win the heavyweight championship. I've seen some great fights, man. I've seen Julio Cesar Chavez beat Meldrick Taylor, thanks to Richard Steele. I've seen uh, some really, I've seen some classics. Riddick Bowe and uh, Evander Holyfield. Great, great fights. But uh, that fight between Thomas Hearns and uh, Thomas Hearns and Marvin Hagler, which is unbelievable. And really, one of the greatest things that Marvin Hagler did, one of the things that made him a rarity, not just in boxing, but in uh, professional sports in general, but speaking of boxing, Marvin Hagler, marvelous Marvin Hagler did something that not even the legendary all-time boxing greats like Joe Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson and Muhammad Ali and Henry Armstrong and Joe Frazier and Sugar Ray Leonard and Julio Cesar Chavez and Jack Dempsey and George Foreman couldn't do. Marvin Hagler did something that none of those guys couldn't do. He retired and never tried to make a comeback. When he lost that fight to Sugar Ray Leonard, which he didn't, but when he lost that split decision fight to uh, Sugar Ray Leonard in Las Vegas, after Sugar Ray Leonard did some bullshit for the last 10, 15 seconds of the fight, uh, the round, the steal each round, even though Hagler was uh, hitting him with the much greater shots, because it was widely believed after Leonard had a four-year layoff for him to come back and get into the ring against Marvin Hagler. The fact that he survived, I think, in the judge's mind, was a situation where, yeah, he won the fight because he outperformed what many of the prod not the cases were predicting that he'd do. 
he won the fight because of that in the eyes of the judges. If you watch that fight, which I've done many times, Marvin Hagler won that fight. He was the aggressor. He landed the harder shots. And as I mentioned before, the bolo punching and all of this nonsense and all the whoop-de-doo that the, 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 um, the, the, the sugar and the spice that uh, Ray Leonard did in the last 15, 20 seconds of a round to tantalize the judges to give him, uh, to give them the, uh, to give Sugar Ray Leonard the rounds was bullshit. It was absolute bullshit. So after that, Marvin Hagler was so disgusted and he was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not, I'm, I'm through. I'm through with Vegas. Never, because they had cheated uh, Hagler before in Vegas. So he was like, you know what, man? I'm done. I'm out of here. So, you know, and he never came back. In fact, Sugar Ray Leonard wanted him to come back. And there was going to be a huge payday for a rematch. But Hagler was like, nah, man, I'm good. Tell Ray Leonard to get a life. I'm uh, moving on. He moved over to Italy, became an action movie star over there, learned how to speak Italian. And I guess he came back. He uh, softened. I mean, when he left the ring, he was bitter. And he was angry about what happened. And I don't blame him. I mean, Sugar Ray Leonard had a way of getting under people's skin. And Marvin Hagler was a guy whose skin was easy to get under. I remember one of the reasons why he was so aggressive against Thomas Hearns was he was like, look, you know, because to get ready for the fight, to promote the fight, we had to go to city to city and we had to do these press conferences. And, you know, day after day and place after place and stop after stop and press conference after press conference, I had to hear Thomas Hearns putting me down. He was going to do this to me and he was going to knock me out and I'm no good and this, that, and the other. So by the end of the, uh, by the end of the uh, promotion, by the end of the, uh, you know, the, the, the promotion deal, I was ready to whoop this guy's ass. I couldn't stand him. I hated him. Absolutely, positively hated him. Marvin Hagler wasn't about that. He wasn't about, yeah, I'm going to knock you out. He wasn't a, He wasn't that type of a guy to, you know, promote like that. So if you bullshit it, thinking about, I'm trying to sell some tickets. So to sell some tickets, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to disparage Marvin Hagler and disrespect him and put him down and this, that, and the other to sell some tickets. Um, you know, be, be forewarned. Marvin ain't down with that. He ain't going to go along with that. He ain't playing that. There's no wink, wink, nod, nod, let me go insult you because we're going to be making more dollar signs. Marvin ain't playing that. He's going to take that to heart. He's going to take that seriously. And as I mentioned before, by the time that promotional tour ended, he hated, absolutely positively hated Thomas Hearn for all the shit that he said. So with Leonard doing the same type of shit, and then he felt that uh, he was cheated, that he was robbed, which he was in that decision, Hagler was like, fuck this, I'm done. I'm done with the boxing game. I'm 34 years old. I'm going to go ahead and do something else. So as I mentioned before, he went to Italy, became an action movie star, and uh, came back. And uh, with, with, with the years gone by with age, he's, he softened, he loosened uh, a little bit, but you know, he was still Marvin Hagler. Didn't know that he was living in New Hampshire, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, sorry to see a great one. One of the greatest the greatest middleweight of all time passed and only 66 years old. I hope it's not COVID related. I, I just hope it's not COVID related. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, all right. So for me, I am done. I am out of here. I'm going to switch it over to Wendell Wallace. And I'm going to um, give you my special dedication to my Georgetown Hoyas. So 
Before I do that, I want to say that uh, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Let's go Hoyas. Let's go Hoyas. Let's go Hoyas. Let's go Hoyas. So proud. So happy. So glad. My boys did it. Extremely happy. Extremely proud. And extremely grateful. And extremely excited. This is all gravy. Whether they win or lose in the tournament, I don't care. They could lose their opening game by 100. I don't care. This was a rousing success, which I talked about at the beginning of the show. So, without further ado, I turn it over to Wendell Wallace, myself. Let's get my special dedication to my Georgetown Hoyas started. Thank you very much for listening to Wendell's World of Sports, and I'm going to end the podcast today by paying tribute to the Big East Tournament champions, Georgetown Hoyas. Special dedication to the 2021 Big East Tournament Champion Georgetown Hoyas. They captured their eighth Big East Tournament Championship in school history with a 73-48 beatdown of the number 17th ranked Creighton Blue Jays and a return to the NCAA Tournament for the first time in seven years. For Georgetown, this regular season has been an adventurous, compelling, bleak, rocky, rejuvenating, and inspiring season. Take the finish last preseason in the Big East. Georgetown was returning only three players in Javon Blair, Jamarco Pickett, and Kudus Wahab, along with introducing eight new players. The challenge was made even more daunting given the fact that my Hoyas were the last team in the conference to have its players on campus as you begin preseason practices. And when the Hoyas season was postponed for four games to two weeks in January because of corona-related issues, the program was 3-8 and eight overall, 1-5 and five in the Big East. But when play resumed, the Georgetown Hoyas, under the leadership and coaching excellence of America's coach, Patrick Ewing, the senior leadership of Jamarco Pickett and Javon Blair, the emergence of do-everything Chulier Bile, the inside presence of Kulis Wahab, and the emergence of freshman point guard Dante Harris, Georgetown finished the season winning six of their last ten and taking over once the tournament began. So, my special dedication goes to the team that I love. From the northwest side of Washington, D.C., Breath and peace to the legendary John Thompson. Love and peace for always. My conference champions, George.